Oh yeah, yeah. Focus well, on the it, family. They uh, when they do their movie reviews, they tell you exactly how many GD combos are in mm-hmm. movies because that's the worst. And I appreciate yep. whoever like sacrificed their own innocence to uh, to make to that review. All those, yeah. <laughs> to, to keep a tally sheet. Do you think that they had like an Excel file like up and ready to go where they could just like tally them up? <laughs> They had to sit in the back seat with a dimmer all the way down on their laptop. They're like, oh, this is oh and for sure, work. like <laughs> after a point, like the person probably just was like, there's 50. It, no one's no one on the site's going to watch it. They're not going to count them. It's fine. <laughs> Actually, there was four instances of nudity. I vividly remember. They're not even going to the movies. They're just like purchasing the scripts online for 15 yeah. bucks so they can <laughs> read. Right. It. Yeah. I read like, the script to spy kids too yeah (laughs) i mean i actually just did i just did find word in on the pdf of the script of spy kids too but yes dude life hack yeah after life hack Stuff the halls with missing money. Fa la 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 la. Crimes exposed by leaky plumbing. Fa la 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 la. Okay. Pray this doesn't curtail donations. Fa la 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 la. Bribe your viewers with more salvation. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm sorry. That was terrible. <laughs> That's a choice. You sat and wrote that. I did. Yeah. That's that's a whole morning. <laughs> Welcome to Growing Up Christian. I'm Casey. I'm Sam. And, and this we, isn't usually a musical podcast. We promise we're done with that. <laughs> Casey promises. I have. Uh, I claim no part of that. And if you liked it, I still don't because it's just uh, that's between you and Casey. Yeah, mention it in your two star review on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, as the Carol alludes to, we got to talk about our boy Joel Osteen, my my former yeah. boss, Joel Osteen. Your former boss? Yeah, I, I did. Oh a yeah, your call for him. Yeah, that's right. You worked. I mean, it was job. indirectly, but I called him boss. You know, and you called him specifically on the phone a number of times until he filed that restraining order. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, this is a weird story. I, I, it's actually, it's, it's don't forget surprising. to use the word allegedly a lot. Uh, right, right. It's surprising, but like, it seems pretty cut and dry to me, like from the details. But basically, there was a uh, loose toilet at the Lakewood church. It's Lakewood, right? I think so. What year? What year is this? Is this a fresh? Oh, is this, this like, is, this is like happened last week. Okay. So I wasn't sure guy- if the story came out or if it happened earlier and someone's just talking about it now. Well, how it got there happened in 2014, but like this past like week or something here, a guy called into a like a local radio show and he was talking about how there was this loose toilet at the Lakewood Church and he got called in. He's a plumber, so he got called in to to make the repair, right? He said that they had some of the tile pulled off the wall and stuff like that by the time he got there. So this guy gets to work and and uh, pulls back some insulation and there's like envelopes behind it. And there's 
like hundreds of envelopes stuffed back into the wall behind the insulation. And so, you know, he, he reported, I dude, why'd you say anything? Like, just take I it. Know. Just <laughs> take it. Envelopes full of cash. It's not like finding a $20 bill, like in the checkout line at Walmart or something like that, where you're like, Oh, somebody, somebody's going to miss this. If I don't tell like, yeah, just, I don't know. Osteen's not going to miss it. He probably forgot it was there. He was like, I'll put this here for safekeeping. Uh, but later on, he just had so much money. He, it's like, it's like when you find a 20 in your coat pocket the next year, like winter rolls by. The next winter rolls up and you're like, oh, shit, I didn't know this was still in here. And it feels like you just made 20 bucks. That's like his version of that. Yeah. Well, OK, so that's part of what what uh, I've heard a lot of conjecture about. So the envelopes that were stuffed into the wall, there was a, there was hundreds of them. It's like six hundred thousand dollars worth of cash. Holy shit. But that's therein lies the interesting part. So this is cash and checks. Which sounds to me like apparently it it was it went missing in 2014 from the safe that's in the church. Like, did your dad ever was he ever like a deacon? No, I mean not really. I don't think. Wait, okay. is that where you take the money? You count the money and shit. Yeah, deacons just get to do all the like crappy, uh, you know, administrative work within the church. And whenever there's a hard decision to be made, like the deacons get to make it, so the pastor doesn't have to. <laughs> take responsibility oh, yeah. for it i thought the elders all like grouped together and made those decisions it's kind of like uh deacons are representatives elders are senators pastors the president that's uh isn't that the i think <laughs> our church didn't have elders we just had deacons oh really oh man yeah talk about centralizing power into one figure yeah that's what we're about that the apostle paul would have been very disappointed church i'm gonna have to Someone should probably talk to them. Yeah, well, he sucks and he made up his own little alien abduction story and no one cares. <laughs> uh, but so like I remember when my dad was a deacon because he he did it for a couple of different churches. They He always ends up like anything my dad does. Eventually, someone is going to be like, hey, you think you can be in charge of this? Which oh, yeah. Is a burden. <laughs> you know? That's funny. Some people are just like that. I mean, obviously he he started his own company and runs that well. It's like some people who have that mindset, that business mindset. That's what honestly let's, I mean, to derail real quick. That's why church often becomes a problem because the people who can grow a church are the ones who are like business savvy. They have that mindset. And it's like, that's why it always just turns into a business. Like let's make smart decisions, financial, like financially savvy decisions for the sake of, investing and growing it's like it just turns into that uh like a like building a non-profit of some sorts as opposed to like functioning the way that maybe it was intended <laughs> yeah i think everything in life functions the same way it's like if it's not growing it's dying yeah well and i guess particularly in a capitalist society that's the mindset that people like you can't just it's funny because i have a friend who once asked me about the church that i go to and asked like why Oh, it's not like your church hasn't really grown much. It's like, I don't know, because we don't try to grow it. Like there are certain messages that grow churches and certain ones that don't. There's certain areas and lines you don't cross if you want to grow your church. There's certain ways you structure things or set up your music if you want to grow. Like, I mean, it's all written down in books. Just like every church planter knows like the ins and outs of the right moves to make to grow a church. Like people have written it all down. It's like, so then you either choose to go down that path or you don't. Uh, 
And it, it that still seems to come from that does seem to come from that mindset of like because it hasn't grown at all, it's essentially dying and like a hipster like, church. Or you just don't have to you could just you could just show up and keep doing the same thing for a long time. And if everyone likes it and it's cool with it, great. Like growing it actually would what? Just probably line the pastor's pocket with more money and not really do much for anyone else. Well, I'm sure they see it as like the more this grows, the more people we're touching and impacting and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Like, when like, salvation's the end goal. Uh, it, you commercialize and the your religion basically. <laughs> it's like right. that's the problem. That's what we actively hated about it after a while. <laughs> we're well, all just products. We're all just like uh means to an end or some shit like that. Well Joe knows how to grow church for yeah, sure. Yeah, he sure fucking does. <laughs> And it starts with great veneers and a big ass smile and a little <laughs> bit of Botox. Well, so in 2014, money, yeah, all these envelopes and stuff go missing from this safe within the church. And like, oh, that's what I was saying. So like, I remember when I was a little kid, I like tagged along with my dad a couple of times at this. We went to a big Southern Baptist church, altar calls every Sunday. I've talked about this. Yeah. But uh you know, every Sunday they would take up a donation and stuff, just like every other church. And all of the plates and stuff would go back to this back room. And all of the deacons or like ushers or whatever they were for that week would sit there and count the money and organize it and stuff like that, you know, into two like, piles. There was like one for the church, one for me, one for the church, one for me. Right. Yeah. Just like Bank of America. They get in the cut. Yeah. Perfect. But, uh, you know, it's a it's a a lot of different crap all thrown on the table and it all has to be sorted out, you know, and I'm thinking like the fact that uh, that there was checks in these envelopes. I mean, this is from 2014. What good is a check from 2014? Yeah, I don't think any good. Uh, what's the what's the expiration date on a check? I feel like a lot of times it's 90 days. Oh, really? I don't know. I might be off. I've written like four checks in the past 10 years, <laughs> but I know yeah. it has an expiration date. So like whoever stole this intended on getting that money out of there before that time or else, or they had a very short window of time to get the money out of the safe and somewhere they didn't have yeah. enough time to get it out of the building or maybe they couldn't do it, you know, sub, uh, quietly without drawing attention and suspicion and stuff so, they so i blew think out they... a wall peeled back the insulation and repaired it real quick i mean what how is that was there some work going on over there originally maybe you know maybe that <laughs> was an addition at the time or something that would be interesting to find out is like what was going on with that section of the building at that time yeah let's pull do... some permits let's do some uh some gangster capitalism style investigative journalism here i do want to point out that this is the exact plot of Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence. Is it? I feel like there's um some plot lines taken from the Righteous Gemstones from this too. Maybe is that? <laughs> it's it is the plot line. <laughs> like his life is the plot line. <laughs> yeah, I know his. That's true. Anything involving Osteen is gonna have some uh, Righteous Gemstone vibes. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence, it may be a little late for you. That seemed like the funniest movie ever when I was 10. Shout okay. out to Jesse. I watched it at his house a whole bunch yeah, of times. Of the only place you watched movies that you weren't normally allowed to watch. 
<laughs> but I think that this was somebody that had, I mean, it had to be somebody who had access to the safe who could open it. And I'm sure there's a list of people that can do that. Right. But yeah, whoever this was, they intended to go get that money out of those walls prior to, I mean, earlier than this, you know, and they just must not have had the window or maybe, you know, maybe it's one of those things that happens in churches, which I think we're going to touch on in a minute where like they didn't necessarily have the proof to pin it on brother Tom, but uh, everybody kind of knew it had to be him. So maybe whoever they suspected of it lost access to those privileges afterwards. Yeah. But, I mean, it's hard to imagine there aren't cameras set up throughout that bill. I mean, 2016, so five years ago, it's not like, I mean, he's been obviously huge for our entire lives. Uh, I can't imagine that there aren't cameras. I need to look into this story more. I'm pulling some blueprints, I'm pulling <laughs> some uh, uh, building permits. That's for sure. I bet uh, that's public access. We're going to find out what's going on here, and I'm going to collect my reward. I think what doesn't make sense in terms of explaining this and what I've heard floated a lot is that this is somehow like Joel Osteen, like squirreling away packs of money as some sort of like a bug out plan, or maybe just to siphon it off the church, like 600 grand in cash and worthless checks now is not much money to Joel Osteen. No, that is what, how much he spent on his Bentley. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) come on. Right. (laughs) I mean, this is all, all of this stuff was taken from two Two days. It was a two-day period that all the checks are from, apparently. So, like, this is a weekend. That's wild, dude. Yeah, I mean, that's literally, like, that's how much they're pulling. I mean, the amount that they're pulling in on a, on a weekly basis. Like, every off, every time they have an offering. Well, and how much of what they pull in on a weekly basis comes from the congregation in the building? It's all a phone stuff. I, I know, dude. I was, uh, I squeezed a lot of money out of, you know poor uh, senior citizens <laughs> during my time as a, <laughs> as an Osteen evangelist. God. I, so that was that, um, did you do outgoing calls or did you just take calls from people? I just took incoming calls. Okay. And I forget who the other guy that I did. I, I did like some overnight shifts where it wasn't Joel Osteen. It was another guy. Uh, yes. And I, I know which one you're talking about. And I can't remember the pastor either. It's another like big mega church ministry kind of thing. And I can't, I, you know, like in my brain, I want to say it was Kenneth Copeland, but I don't know that it was. Yeah. I don't think that's who it was. Is that the one that people would call in and say shit that was kind of scary sometimes? Like that they basically, maybe you should call a suicide hotline and not some fucking undergraduate idiot who's taking calls at a service center. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And like. You know, the other people that I did incoming calls from, and this is a very short period of time. This was not a job that you stayed at for six months or a year. Like this was a, no. I need money. This place is hiring. I can, I can suck it up. I can do this. And then like three weeks later, you're like, I, I can't, I yeah, can't do it, this. Your, I, I didn't do one of those ones. I might, I think I've already talked about it a bit, but I did, um, I worked for a place called Civic Development Group. They ended up getting shut down because of the number of federal laws they were violating uh but and i remember reading in the paper when they got shut down because the dude who started it uh they talked about all of his assets that were seized and i saw a picture of his property it was fucking wild like this guy made bank and it was like all raising money for like random like firefighter cop or like 
emergency transport services kind of services. But it, it wasn't for those departments. It would be like uh, uh, the teddy bear drive that the officers do every year. They would outsource to a civic development group. And then you would call people and they'd be like, how much of my money goes to it? And you're like, well, at least 10%. And then the rest goes to like civic development group. And that was one of those, like, I was giving blood. I was selling my blood plasma the day that someone was like, look, man, you're probably here because you need a job. This is the going to be the number one worst job you'll ever have, but they will hire you the day you walk in the building. <laughs> I was like, so if you need money, do it. He's like, I just quit today. It's terrible. <laughs> I literally just gave myself the flu for thirty dollars. So yeah, I yeah. can do it. Whatever it is, I can do it. But that was another one of those soul crushing. Like you're like, yeah, I can do that. And most people last like two or three weeks before they just are ready to just die in that chair. Yeah. I met some cool people a little bit that I worked there, but yeah, it was rough, man. Like the other people that I took calls for besides Joel Osteen, they had two phone numbers. They had a merchandising number and a prayer number, right? So if you wanted to talk to somebody, you call the prayer number and you would talk to someone that's like with the church or something. That was the last time you prayed publicly, right? (laughs) Right. Joel's only got one number. Or at least he did at the time. I don't know what it looks like now. But uh, so, you know, we're probably afford to now. I would think I would think. But we're a group of like desperate college kids there to try to make a buck. They don't ask you if you're a Christian. Like, obviously, that's not a part of the hiring process. And a lot of the people there weren't. They were just random kids that needed a job or whatever. So part of what you had to do for Joel's line when you're taking calls is like, you had to kind of go through the pageantry of, you know, Hey, well, uh, do you have any prayer requests or something like that? And you could pray with them if you wanted, or you could say, I will pass this on to our prayer line, you know, and it okay. went into the data bank or whatever, but, uh, um, you wait on hold for 15 minutes, listening to elevator music before someone could speak the word of the Lord over you. Right. <laughs> And like the people that were calling in, it was a lot of desperate people and sad people, like people who are lonely, home, you know, stuck at home. Like it was a lot of that kind of things. And old ladies that got stuck in homes and their grandkids and children don't come to visit them anymore. And they just want someone to talk to, (laughs) you know, like most of this (laughs) audience is relatives. (laughs) (laughs) they just keep you on the phone Casey you're like you're on for like 20 minutes every day with the same lady she calls at 315 after she has her pudding cup (laughs) they're in that they're in that home with Ben Stiller as the uh (laughs) the male nurse (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah these people would call in and they're sometimes crying sometimes they're just like it's obvious that they're desperate and like 90 percent of the time it's like i'm in over my head and my debt and i've got you know i'm not sure what's going to happen to my house and stuff because i mean this is like this is 2008 into 2009 oh it's yeah the bad time if you, if you <laughs> yeah. remember and so there's a lot of those people calling in and like you could tell when he had preached a quote unquote sermon about like prosperity stuff. See money bitch. Oh yeah. They would use that language. They would be like, I want to, I want to do what pastor Osteen said. I want to rebuke the spirit of poverty and I want to welcome in the spirit of prosperity. And I would like to pledge a hundred bucks a month to, to pastor Joel. It's like, oh, you just told God. me you That's, can't pay your mortgage. Criminal, pal. Dude. 
I mean, it's what, what are you going to do? I mean, these are people that were going to give that money to somebody. This is like it's like playing the lottery. It's like I'm throwing a Hail Mary and hoping maybe God tosses me some cash for my mortgage or maybe the bank loses my paperwork or something. <laughs> You know? <laughs> you're just so awful much better off. You're, it's like lower. I mean, your your potential for returns higher if you actually just play the lottery. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. It was it was rough. I didn't last very long, but uh, so yeah. I don't know. I think when you look at the amount of money coming in, the lifestyle we know that Osteen lives. Yeah, it just everything about this case. And you look at it, it doesn't make sense that this is somehow like Joel's little no. you know, hideaway stash that he, you know, he put a bunch of like faulty checks and 300 grand in cash. And that's peanuts to this guy. No, it's some uh, some Robin Hood type that planned on keeping all the money for themselves. But yeah, that's all they did give the plumber uh, after the story game became public and stuff. They gave the plumber 20 grand for uh, for reporting it. Really? Yeah, so there's that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of dope. It's uh I wouldn't complain about that. I I mean, maybe you're like, "Look, how much there's 600,000 there and you haven't had it for 5 years. You didn't even know you were missing it." Like, why but you're right. Why didn't he just go like take a few of those envelopes and be like, "Hey, I just found $500,000 in the wall." Like, well, maybe he did, you know, maybe he yeah, found eight hundred thousand dollars. Maybe he did. Yeah, <laughs> this is what got sent back to the lost and found department. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for him. Uh, maybe there's more money in the walls. We should probably tear down the entire building to find out. I think that's the only option we have going forward. Every person who works at a mega church is just going to be like poking holes over in the <laughs> stall <know. laughs> from now on. Like maybe they get like a spike and just like every like Three feet, they just pound all and peek through the wall, and they're like, "No, nope, yeah. move on." Got any coins in there? No, that's just the glory hole. We don't. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have to. Uh, <laughs> no, not that one. No. <laughs> You'll lose an eye. So, uh, oh my god, not the only uh, an eye. No. <laughs> famous. Per- <laughs> uh, not the only I, evangelical uh, mogul in the news this week. No, I think it's uh, worth a quick touch upon that Josh Duggart has uh, been convicted on a lot of counts of child pornography. I mean, he's probably going away for close to 20 years, but I think it's what he's seen. La, 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 Yeah. I, <laughs> dude, Josh has had uh, an interesting run, right? Because... Obviously, a number of years ago, he was the one that it came out that he had been sexually abusing his siblings mm-hmm. uh, for a while. And I don't really know to the details of that. Uh, but I know what the family talked to their church. Uh, the church kind of sat on that information for a few months before telling the cops. And I don't really know where it went from there. I know it was about a year after that. The Mr. Duggar. What's this? What's the dad's first name? Remember? I don't know. Pete, Pete, uh, whatever, Mr. Duggar. Uh, it was like a year later that he ended up telling the authorities. Um, so I'm not sure how they tried to, I don't really remember how they tried to handle that. But then all deals with all that shit. And then, uh, it was really funny when, when the Ashley Madison leak happened, uh, his name was one of the ones that was on the, that list. (laughs) This guy has had egg on his face so many times. He's such a, uh, a dunce 
Yeah. Like, it, he, he was trying to have like a political career, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah, he was trying. He was getting into where do they live? They live in Utah. Is it? I think I think so. I yeah, he was involved in like the Republican Party in the state that they live in. I think like and I'm not. Jim I never Bob watched... is the dad's name. That's right. That is the perfect name for for real. His yeah, name is Jim that, Bob. That's what? That's some straight out of uh, the Walton. Was it the Waltons? Was that that old TV show where everyone said goodnight to each other at the end? Good night, Jim Bob. This is like a boring Western. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't I never watched the show that they had, but I didn't I, either. I went into like a YouTube hole one day where, oh, uh, Fundy Friday did an episode on the Duggars. And so I okay. watched hers, which is really good. You should go watch it if you if you're curious about all these these people. But um, I kind of went down a rabbit hole on him for like a few days. And uh, I mean, when you look at his past behavior, when you listen to him talk, when you see some of the things that he did during his like political career and stuff, the, the guy is, he's obviously a psychopath. Like yeah, there's no, no human emotion in there. Like this is a person that uses people without any thought to, you know, the, the ramifications of, or, you know, the damage that he could do. Yeah. I mean, Oh dude, apparently like, uh, it, what if you know the allegations and the, the, stuff that he dealt with had to do with basically a, assaulting his siblings. Apparently there were several other minors that accused him of touching them while they were sleeping or awake. Like he's been at this for a little bit. And dude, I think what's strange about this kind of stuff, right. Is it happened when he was a kid, he was a teenager of like 14, I think he was like 14, but our, the, I really hope this doesn't come off as trying to make any excuses. Cause I absolutely would never go out of my way to do that. But we don't have a society that's set up to really deal with that, right? So like at 14 years old, when you report that to the police and you go, this is what's happening. Like there's something clearly broken about that kid. Maybe he was had some sort of sexual abuse as a kid from someone somewhere. Maybe he didn't. It's Maybe he's the or originator of that cycle. But what is really fucked is like the parents can't be like, this is what we're dealing with. There, there needs to be something we only have legal ramifications for stuff like that. I, I don't really know what you do with that kind of a broken brain. You don't send them to a professional or a specialist. Like the, I don't know what kind of help exists for that type of Well, I stuff. think there, there's some resources, you know, I don't know about where they live. I mean, maybe there, there isn't a doctor qualified to talk about that kind of thing, but yeah. there's, you know, there's counseling and therapy and all of that kind of stuff available. I think like, yeah, I mean, you have to acknowledge like what a horrible position you would be in to find something out like this about your kids. But what 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 I wonder is like they waited so long to report it to the police. Yeah. What made them report it to the police? Was it another instance? Did they think I that probably. the word was going to get out and they were trying to get ahead of it from a PR standpoint? Like it probably had to do with more accusations. Uh what maybe they heard about it and hope oh this is bad but maybe we'll just talk about it and then this stuff won't happen anymore like it's an intentional uh it's like a willful act of like uh, you're just kind of in denial i think like you're hoping that oh this is something we'll talk about it and then it just won't happen anymore like you're not admitting that if someone is doing that that there's something something very wrong uh yeah that, that doesn't you don't just go 
okay, uh, okay, you're right. Uh, thanks for pointing out that that's wrong. I'm done now. I'm better. Like, it's it, it, I don't know that this is a, a great connection to make, but we'll see. <laughs> it's like if when you're 13 years old and your parents are like, catch you jerking off and they go, hey, don't do that. You're like, okay, I won't. You're going to do it again as soon as you're, yeah. but that's healthy sexual behavior, right? You Now you add in deviance, but like, so now you have a, a, a sexual deviance to you, and, but what you're going to do is say, okay, uh, and then you're going to do that again because for some reason, humans just, you know, your whatever your base sexual desires are, people are, they don't just turn those off when they get to a point of deviance and then say they're better in the same way that you don't, when they're healthy, you don't just turn them off. So I, I, I if there's no healthy outlet for normal sexual impulses and stuff, people will find an unhealthy one. And I'm like not convinced sure. that that's, I think that's true with fetishism, like with certain fetishes and things like that. But I'm not convinced that like, uh, deviance in that way, like underage kids, that feels well, like it's just something different than like, Oh, uh, let me just, um, then their body's finding an unhealthy sexual outlet. Like, I feel like there's gotta be something else going on. Like if that well, was the case, get into like sex swings and gag balls and like, whatever, find your shit. But I think, I think it's like stuff feels different. It's the point at which like, like a person that doesn't have normal impulse control and like, I'm telling you, I, I honestly think that the guy is a psychopath. I'm not just using that as like a slur or anything like that. Like, I literally think just like yeah. from looking at his behavior and the way he talks and stuff like that, like, I don't think this guy has empathy for other people. I don't and think so. I you're, think you're right. When you're that kind of person, you don't care what the consequences are for the people around you. Like, there's not a thought that crosses your mind about like, well, this is an awful thing to do to my sibling or what is this going to do to them long term? Like, you don't think those things, you just do what yeah. you want. And I think like whether or not there was indicators that he was a sexual deviant, like as a youngster, there was definitely indicators that he didn't have any empathy for his, his yes. you know, yeah, other people. Definitely. I think there's well, a then weird you look at thing his actually Madison stuff. And then like, um, what, I feel like so, there was something else that had some other issues that had come up with him and his wife that she just kind of had to deal with uh, because he was, you know, a piece of shit. And oh man. It's just Poor like, woman. I know I feel bad for her too. Right. She's stuck in the, like in this situation. She's, she's stuck with him through. And she doesn't believe in divorce. So she's just going to hang, like stay married to this guy. Uh, like, yeah, there's something, there's definitely something wrong with him. Um, he definitely <laughs> deserves uh, a sentence. And and what's even crazier, I, something's coming up now with like his sister Jaina, is um, she's been charged with uh, let's see, what was the charge? Had to do with uh, harming or uh, charged with endangering, endangering a minor is what it was. Uh, so I I don't know, maybe she uh, was watching. Her neighbor's kids, her neighbor's kids came over, I think, and her, her brother Josh was also visiting. She was like, hey, I'm just going to run to the store real quick. Josh, do you mind watching the kids for a few minutes? So <laughs> gonna do, We're going to let Josh host the uh, the annual pizza and Lord of the Rings church lock-in or something. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. we can do it at my house. I, I'm just going to run out and pick up some more Mountain Dew. Josh, you got this, right? Perfect. 
Dude, what's what's weird about these situations that doesn't make any sense from the outside? Like, there's a lot of things that don't make any sense about it. But like, what is it about? Like, okay, this specific type of situation where you have you got a bunch of kids, okay, and you care about all your kids and you want what's right and best and stuff for all of them, right? One of the kids does something heinous. That's a danger to the other children, right? Why is it? Why does it always look like from the outside that they they think more about how to like protect that kid from long term damage from this whole thing than they do about protecting the other kids? Like, because you know that was part of the thought process is like, man, what if if I help my son at fourteen or sixteen or whatever as like a, a pedophile or something? Like, what's it going to do to him long term if word gets out and stuff? Like that that played into the decision making here. But yeah, shouldn't definitely. your motivation first and foremost be like, he made a choice. I have to protect my other kids from him first, you know, before anything else. Yeah, I don't, I, you would think, I mean, I, as a parent, I'm not sure like how you would handle that. Like if you're, if one of your kids uh, ends up doing something awful, I get, I could see that distinct drive and desire to want to protect them because as a parent, you love your kid. You, you go, look, my, look, they're not a bad kid. That's what every parent will say. Talk to the parents whose kids shot up a school or some shit like that. Like they're like parents are, well, maybe not always. we actually didn't even touch on the most recent school. Shooting, I don't think. Oh my God. Uh, we don't have time for that now, but it's like you, you, I feel like parents will, you'll always hear them protect, uh, go to the defense of their kids. Everyone who's in jail, like, for whatever crimes it's like look he's not a bad kid he got mixed up with the wrong crowd he made a bad decision so like there's that very natural defense of your of your kids that i think will allow you to be blind at at any point ted Uh, bundy's mom maintained his innocence like to the end till he confessed it's crazy yeah i uh, and I can see it. I can see it as a parent that you would like that. That would be your biggest blind spot. Like you could, you would throw anybody to the wolves, uh, your own siblings. If something happened, it could be easier to let that like have it stay in court. But like kids, man, it it's different. I feel like that's that would loving parents, parents who actually love their kids. Uh, that would be their biggest blind spot. So if one of my kids did something awful as a teenager and you're like, like maybe they hurt somebody in school, but you're like at home, they're always great. I mean, but with Josh, there are probably some other signs. I don't know. Like you said, there, there seems to be a lack of empathy there. Uh, but at, when it's, when you do love your kids and then it, the perpetration is like, is that the right word with a, whatever the act is against a sibling. You're like, that's when it gets, that's when it gets so weird because There's it's a like a lot of overlapping you're disproportionately applying and... that, that blindness or that love. Cause you do want to, I don't know, but then what's the option? I, we have to kick this kid out and remove him from our house and put him in a place where he can't hurt people. Do yeah, literally, like nobody cameras? likes to say like, it. Nobody likes to options? say this, but sometimes you just have to. You just have to throw a kid away. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> you put just him in the trash. Just get rid of him. Like when I was a kid in Georgia, you know, sometimes people would get a pet and then realize that having a pet is a lot of work and responsibility, and they would just let it go. Yeah, like they just take it somewhere how, and let it go, which is awful. But you know, sometimes you can't do that with a pedophile. I guess. Yeah, it's irresponsible I mean, to let him go. I guess it's irresponsible to let your dog go. Maybe that's why we trashed that idea. Yeah, probably. 
But there is a play. I don't know, man. I, maybe that's what we have to figure out as a society. When you find out someone's a pedophile, what do you do? Because you're not just going to be like, hey, could you stop? Perfect. Now we're in a good place. That's why they come up with all these like laws of like, you're not allowed to be near kids. But like you have to set up societal parameters that don't let. But even repercussions for breaking those orders, right? People do like th- those don't make them stop. So it's like, is there a place that you can, I don't know, maybe they need their own island. Dude, I don't know. That's what this just brainstorming. Uh, Elon Musk Mars colony is going to be. It's going to be a penal colony like Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I feel like we've been going on for this forever. Aaron Sprinkle is our guest this week. He's awesome. Uh, it was so fun to talk to Aaron. Aaron is like a big time producer for Tooth and Nail or was a big time producer for Tooth and Nail. That's where he really started out. I mean, there wasn't a band in high school that I listened to that he didn't touch. Uh, Amberlind, Emory, Project 86. Um, uh, Demon Hunter. Yeah, Copeland, Demon Hunter. But yeah, he's worked with. Yep, yep, yep. He's worked with, you know, Newfound Glory uh, as later and some of their later music, uh, produced one of their albums. Like he's just, he's been around the block uh, when it comes to the music industry. And he's also has his own solo project. Um, unfortunately, when this is coming out, uh, they'll have just played, he'll have just played the first show he's played in a while, but uh, I'm sure he'll have some other stuff coming up. It was such a fun conversation. It was uh, kind of the first time he really kind of dove deep into some of his uh, disbeliefs now and his deconstruction as someone who's been involved in the Christian music scene and seen a lot and uh, but hasn't really gotten into the specifics of his personal story so much. So we had so much fun talking to him. He was uh, someone you connected with instantly. So it was very casual conversation, uh, a lot of joking around. And it, it, those are the ones that I enjoy the best. So yeah, ton of fun. Um, so enjoy our conversation with Aaron Sprinkle, but first a word from our sponsor. Tis the season to be jolly and nothing makes me more jolly than a great cup of coffee. You know what I'm talking about? I certainly do, Casey. So my house this time of year, I turn the heat down at night because I like it to be like a frosty 66 and waking up in the morning, stepping out into the kitchen at 530. It's it's chilly. You got your long underwear on. You got the uh, flap open in the back, all unbuttoned with a little booty hanging out. <laughs> Rosy cheeks. Two sets, top and bottom. <laughs> they look freshly spanked, but it's just getting cold. <laughs> <laughs> My poor pets. <laughs> Nothing wakes me up better than a cup of hop Captain Cecil's coffee. And, you know, during the fall, I was really into the Knopsk blend. I just got a new shipment in, and I got to say, the limited edition holiday blend is fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I got to say, it's uh, it gets, must be amateur hour in here because you talked about it being a frosty 66, and I set my thermostat to a frosty 62. That's like a Siberian gulag. It's cold. <laughs> uh, you wake up in the morning, and you don't want to get out of bed, uh, but you know, you have to. Get your uh, pot of coffee going, and of course, I'm drinking Captain Cecil's. Captain Cecil's donates 10% of all sales to various lighthouse preservation organizations across New England. It's one way for them to make sure that they remain with us for generations. And as a New Englander, that's super important. uh, Lighthouses around here, big deal. 
they're landmarks. And I know you don't know anything about lighthouses because you don't have them. You just have windmills, the lighthouses of the Midwest. Yeah, we have like grain elevators. <laughs> Not quite as scenic, but same thing. Yeah. The holidays are right around the corner, and there's no better gift for the coffee lovers in your family than Captain Cecil's. And they're offering a special deal to our lovely listeners. From now until Christmas, you can go to CaptainCecils.com and enter the promo code GROWINGUPCHRISTIAN at checkout for 20% off your order. Now until Christmas, it's a deal you don't want to miss. So go to CaptainCecilsCoffee.com and enter the promo code GROWINGUPCHRISTIAN at checkout for 20% off your order. Happy holidays from me, from Sam, and from Captain Cecil's Coffee. Hey, everybody. We're back with our guest, Aaron Sprinkle. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. It is a pleasure. Yeah, it's a pleasure for us. I'm super excited to talk to you. I mean, I don't think there is... um, I don't think there's a band that I listened to in high school that you didn't touch. So (laughs) it's uh, (laughs) going to be kind of... It's going to be cool to hear your story. I know you've been involved in the music industry for quite some time, but uh, mm-hmm. we're also curious to learn a little bit about you and your life. Yeah, I so I grew up on uh, an island uh, just right near Seattle, um, this little teeny island with just was ferries only, no bridges. And it, oh, sick. It was Maybe like not uh, fun for you. With kid. No, I, it, I awesome. really it was awesome. And, you know, it was it, Seattle was very accessible, like you could take a boat and be there within 30 minutes. Um, okay. But, uh, Saddle a halibut. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, my parents were products of like the Jesus movement in the okay. 70s. Uh, they were like hippies that got saved um, kind of right before. I feel like I think they got married and then got, you know, became Christians and then had me pretty quickly within maybe a couple years or a year or something like that. I'm so fascinated by that time, uh, mm-hmm. not to derail already, but no, because there's so many people whose like parents got saved, like the Jesus movement was big, right? And a lot of people yeah. in the early twenties, were your parents like what, in the early twenties when that hit for them? Were Probably, they in it then? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I yeah, my dad like, was like 20, I think, yeah. Okay, it stuck yeah. with so many people. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think what's wild about it is thinking about it was kind of a charismatic movement, like pre-charismatic movement maybe, but mm-hmm. uh, you have, you don't look around you now and seeing a lot of people in their 20s getting swept up in any sort of Christian culture, right? It's yeah. a, it a hit, such a, I don't under, I, I've, I've always been so curious as to like why it hit the way that it did. I have yet to talk to anyone who knows enough about it, but I'm just throwing it out I there. mean, I, you know, I know, I know what I know about it from them and mm-hmm. from it, it definitely permeated the entire culture of the church that I grew up in too, was a byproduct of it as well. And um, I think it was sort of like this aftermath of the summer of love, basically. It was like, um, kind of like these, you know, wandering lost hippies that were tired of whatever they were doing. And, you know, it it was such an era of like spiritual seeking in general too. like every, it was like hip to be like trying to find your guru or your whatever, you know, and find your way. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I personally think it was just like really, really, um, well organized, cult (laughs) (laughs) like i mean that's that's my takeaway from it right now like they knew exactly what to say and how to get people you know uh 
reeled in. And I mean, if, if you, if, you know, I would, I, even five years ago, I probably wouldn't have said this, but, you know, looking back on it all now, just from what I know, I mean, it's just, it's literally textbook cult behavior that was happening. Well, so, yeah. And then, and there was so many yeah. like cult <laughs> splinter groups that formed out of that. Like, Oh look yeah. At all of the, like, you just look at podcasts about cults. Like mm-hmm. the vast majority of them, if they took place in the U.S., they have some sort of tie to the Jesus movement. Yep. You know, it was oh, yeah. like absolutely 100 percent. People are like primed and ready witnesses. and looking for yeah. <laughs> they, they were just like so ready for like it was like that. They were enamored with like that whole concept of a guru. Yep. And in some ways it was an Eastern religion thing. And in some mm-hmm. ways it just it permeated all of it. And so many of them, it's weird because it was like the opposite of fundamentalist Christianity today in that Mm -hmm. like people took pieces of Christianity that fit their narrative and, and incorporated them in, but kind of mixed in with like a Buddhist or, or, you know, Eastern religion sort of, it was like a, a milkshake made of all of those things. Yeah. And, and one of the really important kind of messages of that, era that that continued on and it's i think still really present today but it's it's been technically kind of watered down is like this isn't my parents jesus this isn't my parents religion in fact this isn't a religion this is a relationship this is about you know this is sort of like it was like a uh almost like a rebellion against like legalism and like you know all that stuff and you know that's i think what resonated with that generation because you know, they definitely didn't want their parents' brand of religion. You know, that was obviously not working. Yeah, or just any, any like strict sort of fundamentalist kind of thing. But the thing is, is it at least in my anecdotal experience, like it eventually sort of just always becomes the same thing. I mean, it might look a little bit different from the outside, but it eventually becomes the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a good so, point, man. Yeah, it's interesting. But yeah. So you're you're growing up on an island, your parents are yeah. fresh off the Jesus movement. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was also because it was like kind of a hu- a hippie hub, that island, it was very like artistically focused. Like, you know, um, you know, it's just a bunch of like not just, but a lot of hippie kids. And, you know, just the arts in general were very encouraged and like kind of finding your own path was very encouraged. I actually talked on Labeled about this, too. It was like this really weird situation, like culturally, like not normal, weird. Yeah. Was it like a small number of people on this island? Yeah, I think that midnight mass level. uh... Not quite that small. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Any vampires showing up in the middle of it? Such a great show. Um, Well, you know, I don't know. I think I I feel like it was like maybe 4,000 people like, okay, like my high school, my graduating class was 100 people. So like, and I probably went to kindergarten with like 60 of those 100 people. So it was like, you know, like a very tight, small community and actually born and raised. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I don't know if you know uh, of the of the author Frank Peretti or the book, this present darkness, but Oh yes. Oh yeah. He's very familiar. He's from Vashon, the, the island. I knew him when I was a kid and, and uh, the name of the island was Vashon. And that's actually where he got the name Ashton. He, the, the, the books are actually kind of based on the island that I grew up on. Oh, no way. Yeah. Well, that's so, the one that's that I remember factoid. the most. 
is like the oath. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Like yeah. A weird little town in the mountains and stuff. Yeah. That was kind of like an insular community yeah. sort of cut off from everybody else. Yeah. Like if we went to church with him when I was a kid and like he would do like worship at church and stuff like that. No way. <laughs> yeah. Really funny. Was, that, you, was he already uh, writing then? I don't remember. I was pretty young. I remember when like the the first book came out and my parents were really excited about it and stuff. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. Well, I enjoyed wet in the bed to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely remember Frank uh, Peretti, dude. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different kind of wet. Oh. It was a soaked dream. Less sticky. I, uh, misunderstood. I, it's funny because um, like some of those things where you know, you look at like <laughs> we've talked about like parallel institutions in mm-hmm. our in our childhood version of Christianity, you know, like Christian music is one of them. Yeah. But like even within those parallel institutions, like finding things where you're like, oh, I don't know about this. And I remember reading like a couple of his books and being like, this might be just a little too much for me. <laughs> this might be <laughs> over the line. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh yeah, and then uh, so and then like you know when I I graduated in '92, so the grunge Seattle thing was like in full swing, you know, like '91, '92. So that you know definitely, you know, there was an energy in the air. Um, and we moved to Seattle like right when I graduated, basically, actually a couple months before, technically. But um, your family, or did you yeah, take off? My okay. family, yeah. I lived with them for. A little while um and about another year well and then more off and on but that's another story um i got married at when i was 19 in 1993 and my ex-wife was 17 um which you know that was also you know that was happening that was a thing that was happening in the church you know <laughs> yeah. it was like you know like it was totally fine like nobody was like, oh, maybe that's not a good idea. They were like, maybe oh. wait a couple of years. See, how yeah, you still feel. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. I'm not trying to come off like I, in any in with any disrespect towards my ex-wife. I need to be really clear about that. But um, for sure. But I, uh, yeah. So we. So okay. So th- this is, I think, pretty important. Along. So my my dad, my parents were young life leaders, like really early on, and then um, when I was in like middle school. My dad, we we were going to ch- to church in Seattle. We would commute over to go to ch- to go to a Calvary Chapel. I don't know if you're familiar with Calvary Chapel, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's a West Coast thing that is literally a product of the Jesus movement. Actually, like the Vineyard and Calvary Chapel came out of the same little group of people that uh, started this like little Jesus hippie church back in the day, and. Uh, and it was a big church. It was like, I think there was like 4,000 members of the church or something like that. And uh, my eventually my dad became uh, employed as a as the junior high youth pastor. Um, like when I was in junior high, like my dad was my youth pastor. Like, That's uh, weird. And, yeah. And, uh, but it was like my whole life, like the whole culture, like we were, you know, we were taking the boat into Seattle for church like two or three times a week. And it, the church was like incredibly music focused too. You know, it was like, you know, they, they, it was a cool church. Like, you know, it was yeah. like you could dress however you wanted and, you know, they didn't think rock and roll was satanic or whatever. And that was kind um, of one of their selling points. That so was that Calvary Chapel. They did a lot with like 
a lot of oh, music yeah. came out of Calvary Tons, Chapel churches. Yeah. Yep, especially the one in Costa Mesa, uh, California, with the the OG, where Chuck Smith was, uh, you know, the pastor and stuff. Yeah, they had like sat every Saturday night. They had a free like rock show and like a bunch of bands that I grew up listening to would play there. And like we actually went. We, we lived in Southern California for like a year and a half when I was a kid, and we went to that church, and then we moved back to the island. But. uh but yeah, and so that culture was like a huge part of my life, my identity, like my music kind of came up in that culture of that church. And there was a venue at the church and like all these bands that like from that era, like came out of that scene that even went on, to, you know, that are still I mean, even Pedro the Lion is technically came out. He came out of that scene and like, you know, um, all these bands that like, oh, yeah, like MXPX and like all this stuff. And uh you know, it was, it was the whole thing, my, my whole identity. Um, and it, and then when I started producing, you know, uh, full time, it was in that, uh, space. It was in that sphere of like the, you know, we're, we're Christians, but we're cool. And we do like, we do like, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we happen to be Christians in a rock band. You know, we're not a Christian rock band. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> and you know i've Casey, you were one of those, right? sort of mocking that oh, right no. now but it was real like that was our that was like a real thing that was really important to us back then and uh um you caught me at a good time in my life because about two years ago if i would have been on this podcast i would have just been super resentful and super pissy about everything but i'm starting to have compassion for my past now so yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that's how that stage that, yeah. that's where we're all we're all uh settling in i think right <laughs> yeah you're like i recognize how and why things were the way they were i yes can think i can look back and have a little bit of compassion for that 17 year old me that just thought he was on top of the world when he was uh convincing people they needed to repent and become christians because yeah. they were on a path to hell you know, so, Ooh, yeah I, I remember you i know right now if i talk to that guy i would not like him so. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I mean, the, the, the biggest hurdle for me, for my, for my own past is I literally almost can't even, it's the cringiest thing in the world, but I, uh, I was like, there was a moment where I was really into creation science and debating people. Oh, about yeah. it. We had, the, and, you, yeah. oh my God, dude. Holy <laughs> shit. Good company like, here, man. oh my God. Like the, the shit that came out of my mouth. If I heard <laughs> that now, I would be like, do you hear what you're saying right now? Hey, you a lot of hang credit for it. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. That's amazing. A lot of hangups on not knowing how carbon 14 dating works. Is pretty oh funny. yeah. Well, it, it, it was inaccurate. You could carbon date a live seal and it would tell you it was like thousands of years old. <laughs> that's what I read. Yep. I Dude, still I, remember all the points too. I remember all of them. It's funny. Like we were, we were at target in Wichita the other day and uh, it was kind of late. It was like getting close to closing. So it was like nine 30 and we're walking through like the sporting goods section, you know, and this rubber ball just flies past us and <laughs> smashes into a shelf and knocks a whole bunch of stuff off. <laughs> and I was like, I was just like struck by this feeling like it is just the continual thing where you hear, pe you know, people as they get older just lamenting the fact that kids these days are not like them. And they don't, you know, this ball hits the, hits the shelf. And I was just thinking like, teenagers are the same. Yeah. They're the exact same. Like they're, they're still making the same jokes that we were like 20 years I ago. Like, I know. I have a 14 year old. What if I got a bike and I rolled it, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I have a 14 year old and he'll like tell me something funny that he thinks is funny. And I'll be like, you realize that that people have been saying that exact same thing <laughs> since literally before I was born. And he was like, what? You always think everything's new when you're a kid. I know. Fire fart jokes. Yeah. I have, um, <laughs> I have a six year old and a four year old and uh, my six year old is she's in kindergarten now and she's coming home saying stuff. And I'm like, what dopey kid in school said that, that now you're repeating? Like, I know that <laughs> yeah. kid watched the cartoon and heard that. Totally. And that joke was the same thing that was like, like that was the joke that was in all the cartoons we watched. I'm like, oh man, they're still reusing these yeah. jokes. I feel like writing cartoons possibly might uh, not be, I mean, if you're not going for gold, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's some good quality kids television out there. I can attest to that as a parent. There are ones that I will watch with my kids and ones that I will not but yeah there's ones that i will watch by myself yeah <laughs> shout out to bluey i'm gonna shout out to bluey right now for anyone who's listening with kids who are in kindergarten but it's so crazy when you keep when you watch your kids watch tv and the things they laugh at and you're just like that's the same shit it's that i thought same. i remember thinking that was so funny like yeah. calling someone an idiot or telling someone to shut up you're just like it's, that's it's still universal. funny yeah <laughs> dude I, I had this thought the other day i actually like wrote it down to talk about in, like an intro but to derail everything what was like your <laughs> go-to sorry <laughs> no <laughs> what was like your go-to favorite joke when you were like elementary school do you remember oh my god i mean gosh well, first of all, that was a, a really long time ago. But second <laughs> of all, I mean, I actually, my so my grandpa uh, was like in the restaurant business, um, like, and my dad told me, this was something I love to tell uh, friends, but my dad told me that when he was young and like a server, or like, I think he was in a, he was an adult, but he was a server. He He would go around to tables and if there was a kid at the table, he would say, eat every potato and pee on your plate. Ah, my great grandpa would say that. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to eat every bean and pee on your plate. Yeah. And I would just giggle forever. <laughs> Sam, Sam, you got one? Dude, I don't, there's not anything specific. I know I would just repeat things that I heard. I, I wanted to be so bad. I was like desperately wanted to be the funny kid. I was Aaron. I was homeschooled, home churched. Like, right. I didn't have. I wasn't getting out. Oh yeah, I knew right, that. So. I've listened to your podcast before, actually. Okay, so I, oh, I remember. Nice. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm glowing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I'm like, I was the epitome of shelter. Like in my friends group, I thought I was pretty fucking funny. And then yeah, you know, you get to church and you're like, oh my god, these kids are hilarious. There was like the kids who would dress funny and be, oh my God. It was like, I, that was the worst wake up call I ever had. Cause I just felt sad for probably two years that I just couldn't I, cut it. I felt the same <laughs> way. And I, did, I mean, I, I remember like being like, wait, what is street smarts? I've never even yeah. heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I, po I oh. There's no possible way that I have it if I don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> There was uh so there was this movie from when I was a, that I saw when I was a kid, but it was an older movie called The Court. I think it was called The Court Jester. It's called mm -hmm. The Court Jester, and it was like a I don't know. It was just like this quirky movie. Com no, it was like a quirky <laughs> oh, okay. comedy, and I 
it probably doesn't hold up. I, I don't know that if I watched it today, I'd be like, that was good. But yeah. There were like lines from there that I remember like reusing all the time. And I knew it was like old because you watched old stuff because it was wholesome. And you yeah, could, yeah. Right, right, right. And I just remember repeating jokes from that. I don't even remember specifically what they were, but you know, that feeling you get when you're like, I'm going to sell this as my own, but I know I'm ripping. Oh it. yeah. <laughs> Wait until this lands. I'm going to be holding like- court. It's like uh, it's like our our olden days version of like uh, meme thief, you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yes. yep. <laughs> yeah. Katie, I have a feeling me, that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have a feeling whatever your joke was is uh, something you're still using. So go ahead. Okay. Yeah. No, I I think this could still play. So uh, there was a, uh, a this guy trying to hire somebody for his company. Right. So he puts out a wanted ad and he's just looking for help. And he's a real joke. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, this this is this is the follow along. So (laughs) he's got I'm here for it. Open interviews. And uh, sure enough, first guy walks into his office is a pirate. And he's like, "Okay, Um, I don't know how this is going to work. So nice to meet you. Uh, Thank you for your interest in our position. Uh, before we get started, I got to ask you a couple of questions. Um, I, I got to know, like, what happened to your leg? You got a peg leg. What what happened to it? And oh, I was a deckhand on a on a Spanish galleon and a, a cannonball took off my knee. Wow. Really? OK. OK. All right. That makes sense. He goes, uh, what, what, what happened to your hand? What how'd you get the hook? And he's like, he's like, we were uh, sacking a city in the bikini atolls and I got into a sword fight with a with a soldier, and he cut my hand off. He's like, "Jeez, oh, okay, all right, I, I can see how that that might happen." He goes, hey, "Last question before we get into the interview. Um, how'd you get the what what happened to your eye? How'd you get the patch?" And he's like, "I was standing on the deck, and the sun was in my eyes. I looked up, and a a seagull took a dump right in my eye." And he's like, "Oh, God, okay." seagull poop causes blindness and he's like it does if it's your first day with a hook (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that joke killed in first grade (laughs) (laughs) you might have upped the ante and said crap instead of poop and really yeah really really got the shock value in Uh, you you were you were kind of a nerdy kid yeah, I think by anyone's standards, I was, yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm picking, I'm picking <laughs> Christian up Christian school. Yeah, went to church with the same people, so I knew a whole like 30 people, you know, yeah. growing up through high school. So <laughs> I don't know that you come out of that without being a nerdy kid. No, I, I, I love it. I mean, nerdy kids are my people, so it wasn't a diss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, back to you, Aaron. I feel like we're just getting all over the place. No, I love see. it. I, chaos is my friend. Um, Good. <laughs> So another I, I something I was thinking about actually that was prompted by our uh, rabbit hole that we just went down was, you know, I had this weird I had a weird kind of thing. Like when I talk to people and tell them I was a pastor's kid, they're like, oh, yeah. And then I, and then I'm like, well, it was a little different because they're, you know, it was this like really music focused church. And they like really they really like it was really important for them to be like kind of cool and relevant. Um, and, you know, which is, you know 
something we can all relate to as far as the landscape today as well. But, oh yeah, you know, uh, but looking back, I realized how not cool and relevant a lot of the stuff they thought was, but there was a lot that was too. But, but so, you know, you know, I dressed really crazy and I got my ear pierced in like seventh grade or sixth grade or something, you know, uh, and got called, you know, fag every day and stuff. And like, um, by you know, by my, by people in my school, but, um, yeah, that word used to get thrown around like oh, all yeah. the time. That was, when uh, even when I was young, I think you got probably a few years on us, yeah. uh, but you know, I feel like up until high school was the first time it was like. We don't say that anymore. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that, that word yeah. stings. It, yeah, it always and, stung. Yeah, and I, you know, I was like, I was kind of gothy and like, you know, I, I, I had this like very developed sense of personal expression, you know, and it was encouraged by my parents. My parents thought it was great. My parents didn't care if I got good grades. They wanted, you know, they just wanted me to like really like, you know, express myself and find my own path. So, and but on the. On the other side of it, though, like I literally I'm not joking, like I'm not being like ex- I'm not exaggerating. I didn't cuss until I was probably in over 18. I never said one cuss word. I didn't <laughs> have alcohol until my 21st birthday. Um, I, I didn't share smoke. That like I like I didn't. And, and I and I was like and I real I realized after I graduated that, you know, my a lot of my close friends were not believers in, in school. And, um, you know, they were they were all kind of sheltering me from this, like the party lifestyle that they were living in. Like they wouldn't invite me, but they also wouldn't talk about it around me. So, like, I remember finding out, like when I was 19, that like all all of my friends would get drunk on the weekends and go to parties and do all the stuff you see in movies. And I'd be like, really? I didn't even know that was even happening. Like I was completely oblivious to it. Like, and I wasn't like not drinking because like, Oh, it would be bad if I did. I'm sure that had something to do with it, but it just wasn't even on my radar. Like it wasn't even like in, it wasn't like I was like resisting temptation. I just, it wasn't there. And it wasn't uh, there to tempt you. (laughs) Yeah. So you know, I mean, but I, I mean, I, I've, I've struggled with um, intense anxiety about like, you know, heaven and hell and um, the rapture and, you know, afterlife stuff since I was like really young, like to where I couldn't, I've been through, gone through years of my life where I couldn't really sleep because of it and stuff like that. So you got through, you got at least a few of the cool parts of church life. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I mean, the the Calvary Chapel um, doctrine. They they always said it was like a non denominational church, but they, I mean, it, they had a very, very specific doctrine that you know. Of course, they were like, if you don't believe this, then you might not be in the book of life or whatever. But um, you know, it was very you know tribulation focused, rapture focused. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like you know, we we you know we were like a uh, pre-trib or post-trib sorry post-trib you know f- belief and like uh or no pre-trib it was pre-trib sorry think, and uh yeah, pre-trib is yeah. like uh there's a rapture, the rapture and then happens, the tribulation happens yes then, yeah. that's what they believed and you know like very great yeah i know it's like it's pre-trib really post-trib this thought is about the it. millennial the amillennial the post-millennial yeah i mean get the hit the deep cuts man yeah, and you know, under the guise of like, you know, we're so cool and um we're like, you know, all about love and you know, 
there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. And, you know, this anti, real anti-legalism kind of message that came from the church, there was still the fundamental like building blocks of the entire faith was except unless you say or do or think or believe or whatever, this very specific thing about someone that lived 2000 years ago, you are going to be perpetually and consciously tormented for eternity. So like yeah. that is like really, game. really can fuck with a little kid's head. I mean, I mean like, cause it didn't scan. I, I can look back now with hindsight and be like, okay, I believe this. This is what I believe. But then there was something deep in me that was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like the, the, the dissonance between these two things you're saying is so huge. And then the whole, that kind of like sets the whole, um, focus on this thing that may or may not possibly happen at some point later on in the future is actually the most important thing and how you feel or what you have or your needs that are met now today especially fleshly needs are really irrelevant because like this time's going to go by in a blink and then it's going to be eternity and you're going to be in one place or the other and there's no do-overs and so it's just the most terrifying fucking thing yeah. you can tell a little kid ever like it it blows my mind now to think about that, and I'm so glad that my two boys are not um, yeah. dealing with that. My oldest still has a little bit of trauma from it because he remembers he's he's you know he's in his late twenties now. Actually, he's going to be 27 next month. But um, oh, wow. but yeah, so yeah, I kind of just went off there. But I, yeah. I just I'm trying to get <laughs> I'm trying to relatable. give you a picture of sort of the like yeah. It was it. It's there. The stuff that's important was the same, but there was some kind of weird differences. Like when I meet people out here, and since I moved to Tennessee, like totally different cultures in the church. Even though that same kind of message was there too, but um, yeah, yeah. it's weird too the way that people internalize messages differently. I mean, a lot of denominations can focus differently on different things. For sure, uh, I think I think some of the more I feel like some of the more charismatic movements definitely were pretty end times focused. Not that I mm -hmm. wasn't, we were pretty reserved, but it was pretty, it was a lot of, I mean, the conversation was there a lot. It's weird too, having, you know, I, I started my shift out of that evangelical world before I had kids, but right. It wasn't, it really, I don't think it hit me how fucked up some of it was until mm -hmm. I had, until like my kids were the age where they were starting to hear it because you For know, sure. yes. my family, both like, like all of my families, minus some siblings, like, but there, there are enough people in my family who are still very much a part of it mm -hmm. that I don't, I, 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 I haven't had conversations I should probably have about yeah. what I want them to say to my kids and don't mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I know that's going to, that's tough though, words. man. That's that is tough. Awful. Yeah, because it's like when you go, I, look, I really don't want you to talk to my kids about Christ's death and how it's their fault. <laughs> like, yeah. They go, really? <laughs> what? You're not a Christian anymore. Granted, they already think I really just, I don't know. They, I, things are interesting now that I. They're praying this, for your soul. Let's just yeah, yeah, let's yeah, yeah, be yeah, blunt yeah. about he it. He did this for you. He yeah. did this for you because you're bad. You yeah. You were born such a piece of this. shit that he had to do this. <laughs> it's like a dog that shits on the carpet and you rub their face in it. Like, yeah. you did this. Yep. Look what you did. Yeah. But I then, love you. Yeah. Yeah. But he loved it. So 
and you can't spreading the truth connect the message. And I know some <laughs> of it comes to has a lot to do with people who found that message when they were older. It's like, look, mm-hmm. if you're 25 and you want to decide that it's wonderful that Christ died for your sins and and had to in order for you to be eternally sealed in heaven, which is yeah, just sounds bizarre when you say it when you don't think it's true anymore. But it it's when when you. Th- and that's fine. Like you could tell me that. I'd be like, cool. Yeah. You that's, you know, I don't, that's not for me, but great. I, but when you think of what that does to kids, cause that's what it is. Like I mentioned, like our parents find this, this stuff, like this, their salvation experiences in their early twenties. And like, I believe it. it's true. And it changed my life. And it, I feel like it gave me some structure. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, they have a million reasons for why they believe what they believe now. And yeah. whether you agree with them or not is a totally separate conversation. But right. when you bring in, kids it's like yeah you didn't have this message drilled into you as a six-year-old uh you don't you don't have i name a kid who didn't grow up this way who grew up this way that doesn't remember uh saying their salvation prayer uh because they were talked to about hell and where they were going to go when they die and it's not a lot it, it it's like it, it doesn't it's not a message for kids and it doesn't do well and and of course the idea of it being true is what makes it perpetuate They're like, oh well, it's true and if it's if this is true, then I have like there's I have no choice. Like what you don't want your right. six year old to burn in hell for. Yeah. Oh my god. That that is such a good point. And I that was something that got more and more illuminated to me over the years that I had I I had to compartmentalize because on one over here I was like I believe that this is true, right? But over here I'm like, but I don't. I I I kind of don't even care about it. Like it doesn't resonate with me. There's nothing in me that's like, oh, I just want to go to church and put my hands up in the air. Um, unless I was feeling really bad about myself or something I did, <laughs> then it was like cathartic to do that. But um, that huge dissonance. And for me, like it it really like spawned this like scenario where like duality just became the only way to survive. Like. And the more that grew, I was like, the more that like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde became so much different from each other. And then I was like feeling like I was doing this like weird dance of like, wait, who am I today? Oh, I'm doing children's worship, but I'm really hung over right now. And I think they can probably smell it on me. And like, you know, I definitely smell like cigarettes because I had one this morning or whatever. So like that, that was like really damaging to me because I didn't feel like I could be honest about any of that stuff yeah. because, because it was so like, you know, we actually don't even want to know about that stuff. We just definitely don't want to see it. And, you know, anyway, I'm kind of rambling again, but like that, uh, di- that dissonance and that thing of believing it, like, but not is really, really weird and hard to wrap yeah. your head around. I think that's like, that's what's, that's what's hard to really like express because the weight of like knowing that because of you, God's perfect son had to die so that, you know, to make a way for you to be mm-hmm. free of your awful self because mm-hmm. you're only bad. Like anything that's born of you that you did on your own is bad. Yeah. And you're only good through Christ. I think mm-hmm. when you your take body that, is bad, your thoughts are bad, you know, sex is bad, everything's bad. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and like where that really starts to where you really start to understand, like the ramifications of that mindset is when you pair it with the idea of like 
testimony. Mm-hmm. Like everything that you do has the potential to lead someone out of God's hand and into mm-hmm. hell. You know, mm-hmm. like, is it really a big deal to smoke? It's not that big deal of a deal to smoke, but you know, you just like the rest of the world and, you know, maybe so-and-so who, you know, would have looked at you and seen that you were different and, yep. and would have like decided like, I want to be like him. I want to find out more. I need to ask some questions. I'm going to go to church with him. Maybe he won't ever do that because you smoked a cigarette just like right. everybody else. You just like the world. Yeah. yeah. It, How entitled it, is that too? I mean, it's crazy <laughs> to think like that I'm so important. Like, that I could like, you know, accidentally say, God damn it. And like, someone's going to be tortured forever because of that. Like, well, that I, is I, would, crazy. I said fuck well before God damn it too. <laughs> yeah. You got to be careful. Oh yeah. <laughs> GDs. Oh yeah. yeah. Focus well, on the it, family. They, uh, when they do their movie reviews, they tell you exactly how many GD combos are in mm-hmm. movies. Cause that's the worst. And I appreciate yep. whoever like sacrificed their own innocence to uh to make to that review. all those yeah <laughs> to, to keep a tally do you think that they had like an excel file like up and ready to go where they could just like tally them up <laughs> they had to sit in the back seat with a dimmer all the way down on their laptop they're like oh, oh and for sure work. like after a point like the person probably just was like there's 50 no one's no one on the site's gonna watch it they're not gonna count them it's fine <laughs> actually there was four instances of nudity yeah. i vividly remember they're not even going to the movies. They're just like purchasing the scripts online for 15 yeah. bucks so they can <laughs> read it. Right. Yeah. I read like... the script to Spy Kids 2. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I actually just did. I just did find word in on the PDF yes. of the script yeah. of Spy Kids 2. But yes. Dude, life hack. Yeah. After life hack. <laughs> it is funny and it's like it's you know you think about how many different parts of your life that mindset was used to like control you know like just think about the stupidest most frivolous things and it sounds like it it wasn't as big of a deal and like in in your but like for us clothing held like this super Mm. significant place in like who we were and stuff especially for girls Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah, yeah, yeah. like if you were a girl when I was younger and you shopped at Abercrombie, like even mm-hmm. if you were buying long, loose fitting polos, mm-hmm. like you're kind of flirting with. Yeah, disaster. you're kind of a slut, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, do you really want to be associated with that? Yeah. They have nipples in their catalog. Is yeah. that what you are? Is that what represents you? Yeah. Well, and and too, like that, the the culture of like. It's basically women's responsibility to make sure men don't stumble um, was definitely part of what I grew up into. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a part that I still buy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like that is like so fucked up. I mean, it's like insane. It's like it's so insulting to both of the genders involved in that scenario. Like, OK, this caveman over here isn't responsible for his thoughts and actions. So you got to cover up, you know, so that he doesn't like, I, it's, it's crazy. It's, so wild. it's, it's crazy. So crazy. Like, like, cause you can think back to being a kid and you're like, look, you were just horny anyway. It didn't like, I don't know if anyone watches the show big mouth, but Oh yeah. Show, I love that show. <laughs> it just captures like adolescence yeah. in the most incredible way. Yeah. 
especially this most recent season. And it's weird to look at because you're like, this is such an like this is it is so weird to watch a show built around kids in middle school with all of this. And then you're like, that is pretty accurate. Yeah, like, it's, it's extreme hard, it, yeah. in some ways, <laughs> but you're like middle school is more rated R than any part of my life now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> including the part that smokes weed and drinks too much. Like, it's like Sex Education is another really good show. I don't know if you've watched that, but it's a haven't. Show. I don't it's think I've heard of so that. good. I've heard it's great. I haven't watched it. It I... is so good. And it, it's Gillian Anderson, who is like, you know, probably my number one life crush. Is that on the, um, it's X Scully. Files? Scully from the X-Files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She yeah. Also, not to get too in the weeds. She did a, what was it? She did a serial killer show on Netflix. Yeah. That was dope. Yeah. Um, like killing called... or something? No, no, not no, killing. it's called, uh, Damn it, I, I watched it and I can't remember what it's called. I it's know. really good. Yeah, it's like British. <laughs> she does a really good British accent because she lived in England often, like back and forth, England and the U.S. growing up. So she okay. do, they do both accents perfectly. And I'm, I'm, an, I am a, I am a Gillian Anderson nerd, so that's why I just said that. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, okay, Aaron, let's get, I want to jump back to your story a bit because, you yeah. know, I, this, we're never going to touch on most of it at this point, but uh, that's fine because we're having a good time. But, Can I ask a question real quick before we, shut before up, we move Casey. forward? I'm, to... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just curious. Like, I mean, to be in Seattle, like the hub for mm -hmm. the grunge movement or whatever you want to call it. Um, did you participate in that? Was there any like really significant moments for you in there? Uh, you know, related to that whole thing or. Yeah. I mean, I. So the like I said before, the energy definitely trickled down into the whole music scene. Everything was just kind of alive. Everything seemed possible. You know, these bands that, I mean, I remember like when I saw Nirvana on MTV for the first time, I called my girlfriend at the time and it was like, you would never, you'll never believe what's happening right now. Like, you know, these bands that we loved and were like our local bands were starting to pop off and like just, it was crazy. Um, and then, you know, like, you know, I would like i saw chris novoselic on the street the bass player for nirvana and like talked to him like you know just weird shit like that it was like you know it was real it was happening and and uh you know but we kind of were trying to we were also trying to distance ourselves from it a little bit too because we didn't want to like feel like we were trying to ride the coattails of like anyone else or not that we did but anyone else or <laughs> like uh you know like that we were trying to be like you know just associate something and jump on the bandwagon or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it was, it was definitely interesting. And, you know, like, like almost everything in your life, like if only I could have appreciated it then the way I would now knowing, you know, um, but yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it's cr that uh, grunge music is something that I wasn't, it didn't hit me. You know, I came in, I mean, I'm 33, so I, right. it, it hit me. I came in obviously to it late, you know, it's been played on the radio my entire life for the most part. Uh, even it's funny, like hearing you say like, Oh, the first time they were like, they were on MTV that uh, Nirvana was on MTV. It's like, for me, you know, after you start getting into music, getting into your own kind of music and not just listening to the radio, watching right. MTV, like MTV was like the video equivalent of radio at that point right. for me, like they would, you know, you'd have the occasional, like, 
I feel like they would play sometimes like heavy music at night at a certain mm-hmm. time or something like that. I forget. Yeah. Headbangers ball. Yes, Headbangers ball. Yeah. Ball. That's mm-hmm. right. And I we used to be like that felt like that's probably a similar feeling to me as what you're trying to describe with like totally Nirvana's on. You're like, I wasn't even in bands like Slipknot. I wasn't. They weren't for me. But when I would see Slipknot on MTV at 11:30 at night, I was like, mm-hmm. fuck yeah, this yeah. is this is important to me. Like look around, so, make sure no one's around. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I I feel like that's like the only uh, way I can relate to the experience you're describing. But I, mm-hmm. but I didn't, even though I never cared about it, like I didn't, it took me until later for me to realize that I, how incredibly influential that, that scene was mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. what that did to music, for music, for musicians. I mean, it there wasn't probably a man. band I listened to that wasn't like, if it wasn't for Nirvana, yep. I don't know if I would have ever even. Absolutely. It's crazy. I can't do grunge. <laughs> My dad stopped before grunge. He he somewhere between uh like eighties like uh radio rock and grunge, right. he switched to like gay their vocal bands, so we really missed mm. out on that era. Yeah. Not the greatest of choices, but mm. no, all but right. here we are. No comment. So <laughs> <laughs> all right, Aaron, you moved to Seattle, uh, you know. How, like it's obvious that you've been in like you you mentioned you know being in the arts being around music and, and right. that being an influence in your life like how the heck did you get into production and find your way into like tooth and nail because uh, i'm guessing you got in early on before that was uh something that people would have been like oh my god about yeah so i have always been kind of nerdy and you know i i kind of figured out with the resources I had right around sixth, seventh grade, I started recording music and yeah, with like really like hilarious, like just Frankenstein set up, you know, like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then, but it was something like I said this, I've said this before, but it, it's just, I can't not say it, but it was something I couldn't not do. Like I was absolutely driven and it was the only thing like on my mind. It was it was what excited me. And it, it and it was it was, you know, I was good at it. It was easy for me. And um, and but in the process, the whole the whole point, the whole reason I learned how to record music and even play guitar or sing or whatever was just to have the final product of the song. Like it, they were all the means to the end of of having this magical recorded thing that was like could maybe make me feel the same way that other music made me feel, you know? And uh, so by the time I was like 18, 18, I had started recording. uh, There was actually a studio in the church that was like really legit. It wasn't technically part of the church. The the guy rented it from the church. But um, he, we became friends and he was kind of a mentor. And I, I, I had already started recording bands like the summer of the summer after I graduated from high school, I started re- recording bands in there, uh, friends bands. There was so much music happening. So it's really yeah. a per- perfect storm kind of, of, you know, things I was born with and luck, you know, and, um, and then my band, I, I had a band in the nineties called poor old Lou. And we, we got signed when I was like 19 or something, uh, to a label in, in California like a Christian, like alternative Christian label, uh, which is how I met Brandon Evil. He worked there. Um, okay. Fresh out of college, basically. Um, 
For people and, who don't know, Brandon Ebel is the Tooth and Nail. Founder. Yeah, he's the founder and you know owner of Tooth and Nail Records, and he was instrumental in getting my band signed. He was a fan. He he was originally from the Portland area, and you know would play us our indie in, indie releases on his college radio station and stuff. So it was this kind of perfect storm. And then you know I pretty quickly realized that like I people were actually paying me to record their songs, and like you know being in a band was like we were we were losing money i mean it was like a, <laughs> it was definitely like you know uh a negative for sure and uh and then i remember like um right after brandon and i had hung out in 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 california uh, my band was down doing something a video shoot or something and uh he told me about tooth and nail like he said he was starting to label this is what it's called and i was like oh that's awesome i really respected him he just had this sort of energy to him that was like infectious and um, and then I was, we, my band was playing a show in Bremerton, the headliner canceled, the MXPX guys were there. They came up to me. I kind of knew them. They came up to me and said, can we play? And I went and asked the promoter and they said, sure. And so they played and I was like, holy shit, this is insane. And so I like, I told them that night, I was like, I have the studio that I'm working at. I will record you for free. I'll do like three or four songs for free. And the only thing I ask in exchange is if I can give the recordings to my friend Brandon, who's starting this label. And that was what happened. Like that was the, that was sort of the Damn, moment dude, that's sick. of what wow. happened. And so the, he signed MXPX and hired me to do the record. I was 19 when I produced their first album. And, and then I did, a, I started doing other records for him and, um, and then like we kind of we kind of like separated after that kind of like crazy moment, like around 93, 94. Um, and and I started just pouring myself into the local music scene and just recording tons of bands locally. I never liked I never passed like high school. I didn't like Christian music. I always was trying so hard to find Christian bands that I liked. And there was a few for sure. I'm not like trying to broad brush my past and make it look how I wish it looked. But yeah, um, I, it's like, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just going to th go ahead and throw my sentiments up there. Please. There was a feeling for me of it being it, a lot of it felt forced. Like, oh my God. Like I was, I was one of the biggest. You're nicer than kids. I am. Yeah, <laughs> like I was full blown Christian. I wanted to witness to my friends all the time and I couldn't do Christian music. I couldn't yeah. do, you know, your, your kind of your praise and worshipy stuff. You and it, not even that, but like the ones that tried to bridge on rock, like, you mm -hmm. know, one of the bands that comes up a good bit is like your, your DC talks or your, right. whatever. And I'm like, even then I was like, this feels too Christian for me. It, I couldn't, it never worked for me. And I don't mm -hmm. know if no, it, that a feeling you felt as yeah, well. Yeah, it wasn't authentic. And I, I just didn't get that juice that I got from The Cure or the bands I was into at the time. Like there was just something about it. Like that it was just empty. It was hollow. And I don't know if you were, I don't know if they had these when you guys were in youth group, but like they had the, these really funny, like uh, the, the labels or maybe the Christian bookstores would like had like magazines and like they would have like, that like targeted towards youth pastors and they would have like whole sections where, where it'd be like, if you're, if you're uh church kids are fans <laughs> yeah, of this band, yeah. <laughs> then they'll like this band. 
Oh yeah. And you're always like the most preposterous, like, like comparisons, like so hilarious. And, uh, it was like, why, like, why do they, why can't they be fans of that band? Like, why do they need an alt, an alternate, you know, like it, that always perplexed me because I didn't feel like music was going to like change my faith. And it, and it didn't, you know, it never did. Mm-hmm. I mean, my faith changed, but it wasn't, didn't have anything to do with music. And, um, yeah, so I just, the music, the Christian music scene never resonated with me. And that's why tooth and nail was such a refuge. It was like this hope, this beacon of hope, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was like, it felt like the most authentic that I'd ever heard. And, you know, it probably was because a lot of the guys making that music weren't Christians, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, you know, eventually it, even that changed eventually that, you know, in order f- to play the game, you got to follow the rules, you know, and if you get big enough, you're going to you're going to end up following the rules. And there was yeah. some there was some of those rules that ended up getting kind of locked in. And I remember when I was doing that, when I came back to start working with Brandon on a more official basis in 2001, um, which that's when I had my like 12, almost 12 year run of just insanity with like just awesome record after awesome record that I got. Yeah. To work on. Um, you really did, man. It's incredible. When I look at, it's like the, the bands that you worked. That's why I said at the beginning, like, I don't think, cause I was a God, when I was in high school, like that was, I mean, that was a lot of them. That was Emory. That was Anne Berlin. That was project 86. That was like, I mean, see. you were, you were on all of that. I was yeah, I mean it was crazy. I was on the a different spectrum, I guess, than you guys. Mm-hmm. Like Christian rock was the edgy thing that I got to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like it was it was uh music was always like viewed with suspicion by like for sure fundamentalists in the circle that I was. And it had like they they viewed it with almost like almost like having these hypnotic qualities. Mm-hmm. So it was always to be viewed as like a potential gateway for like bad thoughts or negativity or some of the nuts would be like, you know, like a Ouija board, basically. <laughs> it's like a Ouija board. It's like that. Yes. And so like I I knew like I remember in like fourth or fifth grade, I got a DC talk. I got. uh Oh, man. Jesus freaks. Yep. And and I remember like. Listening to Jesus Freak. Multiple Jesus Freaks. (laughs) Wow. You need to nitpick me. I'm the DC Talk fan here. I'm stepping on your misstep. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember listening to that and being like, wow, this this is like it. This is what I've been like trying to find is like something like like I want something like this. And I think like for me and my buddies, we were all kind of in that boat. And Christian Rock was like this outlet for us to be like man this is something where we can like almost relate to normal kids right you know yeah. and uh there was a lot of pushback in my church about that kind of stuff it was always like i don't know if you guys should be looking at this like this is really on edge and once in a while like your mom would pull out the 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 backing in the cd and like read the lyrics and like yeah i i remember my mom uh i borrowed an Evanescence album from my buddy Jesse. <laughs> it's the one with her on the front over cover. the line, over yeah, the line. Exactly, it's the one where she's on the front cover and she's really yep. pale and she has black mm-hmm. hair. And uh, my mom like read a bunch of the lyrics and got really mad. 
Yeah, and she was like, demon possessed on that cover, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> like I remember her not knowing what a tourniquet was, and she thought it was like a grawl, like a you know the thing that you choke your like somebody chokes you with. She thought a tourniquet was like a way of killing somebody or killing yourself. Oh she thought God. you were getting into uh, autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like. I had to give the album back to him and I couldn't keep up burned it and I had to throw it away. (laughs) Like like, Christian rock was like a way for us to, to kind of like get out from under our church a little bit and like, like, man, did you get the new pillar album? Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know what though is you, you, I, I really think, and this is, you know, this is a complete speculation, but I think you were the primary demographic of, all that whole scene. I mean, cause I, I think so. I didn't grow up that way, but I knew thousands of people that did. And I, that, and, and I talked to people and, and I could see it in their eyes that they were like, Oh, thank you. Praise literally praise Jesus that you made music that I can actually stomach. And I'm not embarrassed if my friends hear it in the background. Um, you know, and that it's, it's so weird to think about now, but I mean, yeah, it, that, they were necessary. That was, they were that, so necessary. That's why the Christian music industry exists is because of that sentiment. Like that. The only outlet. Yeah. Like this is like <laughs> our thing that we get. I mean, you know, and then you get, you know, then it grows even more from tribalism and kind of all that stuff, you know, which is, I mean, that's a whole thing in and of itself. But then you have to protect it. Then you yes. have to be a staunch defender of those bands. Yep, because, and they become your identity, and like everything you and everything, every word and action they do, you're you know you're hanging on that. I was looking at your uh, your Wikipedia page, and right. it's you worked with Demon Hunter mm-hmm. a little bit, right? A ton, yeah. So I think They're it was like one ones. of their one of their early albums. Uh, I got X two thousand three. <laughs> if you remember that, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, <clears throat> like sampler CD, and it, it had. A song on it i can't remember what it was called but um i remember like getting x 2003 and i'm like listening to it and it's the most ridiculous mix of bands it's oh, like everything from, hilarious <laughs> there was nothing on there that was related to anything any no. other song on the album Mm-mm. and then all of a sudden like you get through a like cademan's call or whatever and there's this demon hunter song mm-hmm. and i remember like hearing it and being like I think this is a little too much for me. <laughs> I don't think Jesus likes this at this all. Is, like this is the Frank Peretti of Christian rock. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's it, a, absolutely. Yeah, but that you know that was like you know Tooth and Nail's business model was to be the Frank Peretti of music, you know of Christian rock. I mean that was like, and I'm not saying that to diss. I love Tooth and Nail, and I, I will never not. But. You know, it was like, how yeah. far can we push this? And, you yeah. know, that those edges would expand every year a little bit, too, as the, the tooth- scene changed and, you know, people changed and all that. Yeah. Tooth and Nail was the lifeblood for people. I mean, it, it like, I mean, I know you said that a lot of people weren't even Christians as they were on it. I think that's <laughs> super interesting. People, honestly, you probably get what most of that. You can probably get a lot of that information on the labeled podcast where they dive into that pretty much every For sure. Yeah. Band. So anyone who's listening, if you, whatever band you loved on Tooth and Nail, there's probably an episode on the Labeled podcast about it where you'll get a deep dive. It's definitely worth checking out. But uh, if, like, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done without it. Like, 
that's how I got introduced to heavy music. That's, you know, or the, the gateway bands into heavy music. And then you find your solid states and then you're mm-hmm. like, and through that is when I kind of realized there were bands outside. Like I always knew there are those heavy bands, but you know, you can't gamble on listening and maybe getting into something you should, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. There's all these reasons that you can't. And it's like, you start with the ones on solid state and you're, and honestly, I mean, let's be real solid state fucking swept the metalcore scene like they changed the game for that yeah yeah no tooth and nail changed all of music they did they really did like it's incredible what they did i mean i don't like when i and you did aaron well you're part of that what when (laughs) i when i meet people now especially like because emo is so cool again right now like if i meet people and i'm like you know that are not in the christian music industry aren't christians never listen to it and I mentioned Tooth and Nail. They're like, "Oh, seriously? That's badass!" Like, Tooth and Nail is very respected uh, now. It it there were times in the at the beginning where it was kind of poo pooed by like snobby, you know, an, you know, anti religious people or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, Punk but now it's like just you know, especially them in the metal world. I mean, you know, they're, they're, a lot of the bands on Solid State are are like considered to be you know some of the best. Yeah current metal bands in the world you know like I mean, how many... they go to like norway and tour or whatever. <laughs> like seriously like it's crazy it's yeah like how many bands came out trying to sound exactly like august burns right after yeah the scene? i mean to me they're one of the most like big deal when i was every local band was like an august burns red rip off when i was in high mm-hmm. school and college it was like i mean look at under o. was like that was my identity for a while yeah yeah Aaron, one of the things I want to get into, like, is um, you know, obviously you spent so much time in in the Christian music industry. There's yeah. so much that goes on. Maybe people are talking about on the back end uh, how they feel. Maybe one of the things that you know we learned growing up is that you have to find safe people to talk to about your questions. But for sure, uh, I don't know what it looked like on you know when you mix uh, a faith based like a faith based idea with music and you're doing it as a business so mm-hmm. like I, I guess one of the things that i'm curious about is like you know over a long period of time you definitely are indicating that you've had faith shifts and that bands that you worked with by the i don't know maybe by their second third album weren't christians or maybe even their first like was that stuff that was talked about uh in it like during the time that you were working with all these bands and then like when did you get to a point where you were like when did your faith start shifting? And then mm-hmm. when did you admit that your faith started shifting or wherever yeah. it is now, maybe you started losing it. Maybe it started shifting. I really would like to hear that. Yeah. That both are both really great questions. Um, the, the landscape of like the music industry, at least from my perspective of being in the studio, you know, I was, I was in the studio with bands, so they'd come in usually off a tour we'd record, they'd be getting ready for some tour. So like they were sort of like a revolving door of like, you know, stories and stories from the road and life and all that stuff. And that that space being a safe space to be like real or talk about it, it evolved over time. It started as gossip. You know, it was like, did you hear that this guy or dude, that guy's not even he doesn't he's not even a Christian. He's in the band like and and like they know it and they still let him be, you know, and then it evolved into, you know, people just outwardly telling me while I was working with them, yeah, I'm not a Christian anymore or I never was or whatever. And, um, it, it became, 
you know, I think for some people, almost a badge of honor to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't even care about, I'm, I love this band. I love the music. I actually really like the label. I like the shows, but the whole Christian part of it just was never my bag or it's not anymore. Or, um, but I definitely saw people that like, that, that literally had to pretend they were until some point, you know, they had to pretend they believed it or, or at least not say they didn't. They had, yeah. you know, they had to basically nod their here. head and go along with everything. You, um, you know that. I mean, I remember hearing that, like the mm-hmm. rumors of the bands. I think, you know, one of the one, the key ones was like, oh, sleeper. And it's like mm-hmm. people in oh, sleeper aren't. It's like, mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah, and he is legend. Mm-hmm. It's like the lead singer from he is legend to kiss the guy from like from first to last mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah. Stuff you get hung up on. Anyway, I can cut you yeah. off. So, yeah, I get no. hung up on. Just, <laughs> just dipping into the memory banks. I hope yeah. you missed it, Mike. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> I back it. Um, yeah, and then for me, you know, I, I had this deeply ingrained conditioning that I was afraid to look at what was, like what is. Like I was afraid to just like just literally observe current state of reality I had a fear around that uh for a long time i mean so much so that you know it i think it was the catalyst for me you know having a lot of self-destructive behavior around alcohol and stuff like that and um i i remember this is really funny but i I was my ex-wife and i we were going or maybe she was my wife at the time we were going to this church here in tennessee after i moved here called journey and it was like i felt like it was just so cool and everybody was so real and it was just awesome and um i do really like have a lot of good memories from that community um but i met this guy who i just love he's just the coolest dude and he 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 literally we were just having coffee one day and he's like so what podcasts do you like and i was like i don't listen to podcasts like i've never listened to any and this was only like eight years ago or something like that so the podcasts were not new like i just hadn't got on 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 the uh bandwagon and he told me about a couple, and one of them was actually a church, a church's podcast from California, but they were like real edgy. Like they were talking about stuff that I, you know, I was like, is this okay to talk about? And then People the other- should have healthcare and whatnot. Yeah. Well, yeah. But also like, <laughs> you know, just like the annihilation theory of hell, you know, just stuff like that. Like, you know, yep. different things. And then he also was like, oh, you got to listen to the Robcast too. And I was like- Oh, well, you know, in my head, I'm like, but he's the guy that wrote that book that shall not be named. And like, um, I remember like, so I got really into both of those and I, I started to basically soften up to the idea of like, I remember like I literally had this moment where I felt like God told me that I had permission to question him. Like that, it like, like there was no, nothing I could do question that would change like any truth or reality or certainty or anything like that right so go ahead go ahead and question me all you want in fact you probably need to like because you don't you don't really believe any of this stuff you know this isn't like really something that you have like real conviction about so why don't you just really explore what what do you believe and i remember i got so into the robcast and i had sailed through you know that's um uh i'd sailed through not hearing anything too, you know, heretical, uh, 
on the podcast and I was like, man, I really like this guy. He's just got such a great vibe and energy and I love everything he's saying. And I, I, I had started leaning kind of like left politically a, a quite a while before that. I never really got into politics that much, but I, I always resonated more with the left anyway. But, and then one day I was like, I really want to read Love Wins, but I, I know that if I read it, I won't be able to listen to his podcast anymore because I know I'm going <laughs> to... I know I'm going to disagree with his pod with the book. I know that the book is wrong because that's what I've been told. And I read it and I felt like a thousand pounds of weight lift off of my body. When I read that book, I just was like, like I had the, the most, I had a more intense spiritual experience from reading that book than any time I ever had in church or in a worship service or doing my 20th altar call or whatever. Um, <laughs> like I really did have this like, yeah, yeah enlightenment and it's funny now because i i see now i see rob bell's like theology is fairly conservative like based on what i even believe now so uh i mean i love him still i think he's amazing um i actually went and saw him live a couple years ago but um but yeah so that's when it started that was about i want to say maybe five years ago four four or five years ago so it's been really recent for me yeah yeah and it's and it's uh it's escalated quickly (laughs) but uh it does well i mean once the cards start falling that's what's crazy about it yep it's like because i have a very similar experience i I read that book not too too long after it came out Mm -hmm. and i had started listening to his podcast as well and that that was a big help for me i just remember when i read i maybe i was i don't know where i was at when i read it but i remember being like yeah, you read it and you're like, oh yeah, this all tracks and it's not wild. It's not, it's not what we were told it was. That's for goddamn sure. It's not like a book of, it's like a book of, but that's what they hated. What they hated about Rob Bell was like, this is a book of questions. And then I remember getting pissed watching interviews with him in college. It's like, mm-hmm. he doesn't answer their questions. And then it's like, yeah, wake the fuck up, bitch. Yeah. Read the gospels again, because the guy that you worship <laughs> never answered any of their questions. Either. Right. Yeah. And, and like, the, he's, the he's, book came from <laughs> such a place of love to you. It was so obvious. Like, yeah, it was not, it was pure. Like the intentions behind it were so pure. Like, and I just, it just resonated with me on such a deep level. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Um, and I and then I got into Roar and you know some and uh, uh, John Philip Newell is that another I think that's his name uh, another guy one of Rob's mentors and just and, and uh, really like just started just feeling like this every you know I, the world is opening up everything's mm-hmm. making so much more sense I feel more at ease and and at peace than I ever have in my whole life like you know, addiction type behaviors and, um, and like fear and anxiety that I'd been dealing with for so long were really like, I could see like tangible shifts in these areas of my life. And, uh, um, just, just really wild stuff like that came of that. And, and the, the big, the big fear for me, like the, 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 the culture I grew up in was so performance based that, you know, I, I always felt so afraid to be myself, like I would be f- kind of found out in public, like if someone heard me cuss or heard me say something or um, they would be like, oh, you know, he I guess he's not really one of us or I guess he's not who I thought he was. And this whole weird, like fucked up, like fantasy world where anyone's actually even gives a shit what I think, like is so 
weird. And, and yeah, it's like a weird mix of pretension, right? Like that you, yeah. the self-importance. Well, you mentioned that earlier, right? It's what that, Casey that was talking about earlier. Exactly. It's exactly the same thing. And that when that started to, you know, fall away. I mean, if I heard myself saying fuck on a podcast, like if like right now, if 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 my eight year ago self heard that, I would be like mortified and shocked and like and probably relieved too. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it so it's I've come a long way and right now, like where my theology or faith or whatever rests is I kind of like and I know you didn't ask me this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. But it was my next question. Is so. uh <laughs> is uh I like love atheists like i i love reading atheists i love uh sam harris is one of my favorite human beings that's ever lived like he's kind of my guru right now and like um but i'm not i i don't feel any pressure to uh like make some declarative proclamation that i am an atheist like I, I, I tell people I'm an agnostic and actually Richard Dawkins in, in his new latest book, he says, because there's a scientific principle where you actually can't prove something doesn't exist, all true atheists are agnostic because they're not out to try to prove the non-existent of existence of a higher power. And I do like like some woo woo like spirituality stuff a lot. And, it, you know, it, it, it benefits me. But I definitely think. I definitely am in like the same camp as Sam right now and where I do truly believe that the world would be a better place without any religion. I, I truly believe that it, that the costs are more uh, impacting than the benefits, uh, like literally across the board of all religion that like the, the best evolved place the human race could get to is one where the religion does not exist anymore at all. That's where I personally am. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'm also trying to keep curiosity, open-mindedness, trying to be stay a learner, trying to stay a beginner, trying to not get set in my ways and not have that like, you know, that's the reason that I named my new record Certainty is because it's kind of a play. Like, there is no such thing. Like, we don't, that's not even what we're called. We're not called to be certain about stuff like this. Like, there's, it, it doesn't matter. There's nothing on the line. And and that's what's so weird about the culture that I grew up in is certainty is like the bedrock of the of that entire movement. Like we know what is true. Yeah. And um that's such a burden yep. to put on a human being and it's such a um which is ironic. Horrible. Right? That's what they're trying to alleviate. Way they're to trying to be like yeah. the, the burden is unknowing and you're like lay no, your burdens nope. aside. Yeah, the burden is the, the being unburdened is the day I realized no one is is like calling me to know to 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 decide or know or get to know. I don't even get to know. Why do I? Why do I think that I get to know what happens when I die or <laughs> yeah, where yeah. the earth came from? Like what? What? Like why is that so important? Like who who decided that is what like was such a priority or a virtue to get to know? any of this shit like it it's just such a relief it's just like oh i can just start to sort of unravel all my insecurities and start to sort of be comfortable in my skin and you know maybe try to like leave the world a slightly better place um you know do cause more you know joy than suffering <laughs> that'd be nice yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah i 
I am I with it. you a hundred percent on a lot of that. Like I've listened to Sam Harris some too. I think I heard him on Rogan like very early on in my like, right. I'm not going to listen to, to like pseudo Christian talk radio anymore. I'm going to listen to some other things, you know? And, um, it's, it's weird to think about how many people started their like quote unquote deconstruction or whatever you want to call it journey through podcasts, whether they're yeah. related to Christianity or not. It's almost like for me, it was almost like finding some people that were not at all connected to my background that I felt like I could trust. Right. Or that I felt like I understood like, okay, I see where this guy is coming from. And like, and it seems like it's actually okay to be him too. Like there's nothing, it's like there, nothing's like burning down around his life because he's him. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's something reassuring about that. Like, Oh, We've, maybe there is something else. Well, and for okay. me, like that was one of the things that like really shook my, my confidence or, or really exposed my lack of, I, that's what it is. It exposed my lack of confidence that I was, covering up in like my belief system you know was like mm -hmm. really finding out that christians don't have this monopoly on a meaningful purpose driven life mm. yes you know oh, so well you, put. you don't have to like follow this set of rules to feel like your life is it means something or it's right. or it's it's fulfilling and and i think by finding some people that were totally for me it was like finding people that were totally removed from Christianity that seemed to like have, have their selves together, like to have a, a good sense of self, which is what mm -hmm. I was lacking completely. Absolutely. You know? That, that was, that was wrong. It was sinful. Like I, 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 I convoluted like self love with, self, with selfishness or, and, and, and um, you know, so many, so many things like that, you know, like, it it's crazy. It's 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 insane to think about. But yeah, it, it focusing on yourself is like a fleshly, sinful thing. Like, uh, it's it, it never made any sense. It never never tracked in any way, shape, or form. If I really am honest with myself, it never tracked. Yeah, and so much of like what Christianity had become for me, like from an early point, you know, when I look back on it, like I just never had warm fuzzies about any of it. Mm -hmm. I just, I had this like unwavering, like sense of duty to maintain right. the illusion that like, I believe this and this is 100% true. And I have confidence in this. And when I look back on it and when I was really honest with myself, I'm like, this is all performative. Mm. Like, you know, yes. when you were talking about oh. earlier, like I was in a band in, in college and that was 100% of my identity. And I remember Tooth like, and nail really missed a good opportunity on that one. Yeah. You guys screwed up. But <laughs> did you deliberately ignore their press kits or <laughs> it starts to feel that way uh, i remember like one of the guys in the band would he would like swear pretty openly and mm -hmm. i just remember like fretting about that just like having like anxiety about the fact that like someone is gonna hear him swearing and they're yeah. not gonna like it wasn't like Oh my God, what if somebody is hurt because of this? Or what if somebody is like led astray because of this? It was all, all of it was about people are not going to think that we're genuine. And I want to seem like I'm genuine. I, I want to project oh, wow. ideal That's Christian awesome. 
guy and none of it's real it's all performative i don't have any conviction about any of this stuff what i have is guilt and that's it yeah guilt shame desperate like a desperate pleading like you know um i was talking to my therapist like last week about like i mean we we were getting heavy he's and i'm new with him he's awesome but like there's this the deep deep core sense of safety right like we just want to feel safe we want to feel like Mm. everything's okay and like the message that I grew up with is everything is not okay. Like, unless, are you sure you're right with God? Are you sure your name's in the book? Are you, you know, maybe, maybe that guy was just never a believer because he backslid. Like maybe he just never was like. That's um, some language there, man. You know, like my, my mom, song. when I told my mom I wasn't a Christian anymore, and I'm not dissing you, mom, if you listen to this, but I really doubt my mom's going to listen to this. Um, she said, did you ever really know Jesus? That, that was her response. And, and it broke my heart, you know? Yeah. And, and I was like, I was like, no, mom. You know, I wanted to say, no, nobody does. Do you, like, I, you, can you even define that for me? I don't even know if you could. And, and, um, I, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody right now. If anyone listen, I really not. I, I sound like a total asshole right now, but I promise I'm not trying to be. But, um, I tried to get my mom to read Love Wins. I was like, if you if you read that book, I will answer any questions you have about about it. And she was like, "Oh, okay." And she, you know, she didn't, to my knowledge, because and I just wanted her to have a fraction of the experience I had mm-hmm. from reading that book, you know, so badly. Uh, but I yeah, think, I think one of the things that's wild and difficult, and you know, as we try to figure all this stuff out, coming from the I don't know the places that we came from, and you know, fact is people like us and the people who listen and so many other people are all stuck in this world of not whether they've they're ex-christian, ex-evangelical, mm-hmm. post-christian, progressive. Right. I mean there's so many different ways you can look at it, but all of those words don't jive with the the world that they grew up in and of course there's a disappointment and fear on the family's end for the people who are going in that of course in that direction and it's so everyone's kind of stuck in that, like that cycle of like, we're going to be surrounded by the version of the faith that we grew up in for the rest of our lives. Right. And there's, you know, other people don't have to deal with that. Yeah. That's super interesting. Like you could maybe really interesting. Maybe, um, you're come from an atheist family and become a Christian. And now there's that dynamic. Right. Right. I doubt that 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 maybe they have some of the witnessing at Thanksgiving that gets a little awkward. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but, for the most part, like you're when you're talking, you know, when I when I look at what's going on in the world, when you look at what people are talking about, you know, what, politically speaking, right? Like 80 percent of even white evangelicals were like backed Trump and mm-hmm. were not even reluctantly. It seems like mm-hmm. you're like full blown on board and Fervently, kind of, yes, kind of yes. slapped was a little bit of slap in the face of what you even you thought you grew up. Like I knew what I grew up with wasn't what I believed anymore. But when you saw them even betray those things, but still pretend like they were that they, those virtues and values mattered. I, I that that was honestly hurtful, I think, uh, for a lot it, of people. It, it was why I left church. The 2016 election is literally why I mm-hmm. stopped going to church for the rest of my life. Yeah. How many people, how many people yeah. had that well, exact same experience? And I think that's why the gospel coalition has been harping on this whole thing for the last four. It's like, well, wait, mm-hmm. wait, wait, it's not all bad. There's some, we are some never Trumpers over here. Come join ours. It's like, it's, it's a little late for that. Uh, but yeah. also like, 
yeah, I don't know. It's we're in a weird time, like where it, it's blowing the fuck up. Mm-hmm. It really is in an unprecedented way. Uh, you can just look at the stats. Uh, you know, there's a few people I follow on Twitter who just post stats and break them down well with charts and graphs, and it's like, God damn, the, the way that the world is shifting and moving, and and it's tough. Like you just want your all you want, all you want is for you know you want your mom to leave to read Love Wins, and it's that's not going to change anyone's life it, mm-hmm. it, it could it could be a catalyst but it's just like i'm inviting you to to see and learn a little bit about what affected me and why i why i changed and why i am the way i am um and you know that's all that you were given like i you you yep. were put into it's like all you did all your your mission as a christian as a kid as a young kid who wanted to bring people into it was like to invite people in, oh, just read this, just read this uh, New Testament, read the Gospel of mm-hmm. John, read like mm-hmm. all you were. And now you do that from the other side, and and you realize like that's frustrating and hurtful too. Where it's like you're not even willing to to meet people halfway. It's no, really not yeah, what no. you're about. Yeah, it's interesting too. You just made me think about. I was so afraid, like I said earlier, to be authentic in a public space and. You know, I started to sort of like out myself as not a, a, an ex-Christian on Facebook during the last election. <clears throat> and then um, since I've had this podcast, I've talked very openly about it. Actually, not as openly as I am on this. This is this is the most openly I've ever talked about it in a public space. But the it would only... be a real gift if we could be the podcast that ruined Rear. Yeah. Oh, that'd be <laughs> the only. Um... Dude, if this. If this podcast ruins my career, then fuck them. But uh, <laughs> the uh, the the only responses I've gotten are other people that are going through the same thing I'm going through. Mm-hmm. That's literally the only thing. Like, it's been beautiful. Like, so awesome. Yeah. And there's a lot of people going through the same thing that I'm going through. So, I you know, that's my anecdotal, like, data on, on that metric. But it's like... It's obvious, you know, this is like, I mean, I, I keep seeing online on some of the hilarious Instagrams that I follow, like, you know, the church is freaking out right now about this. Like, it's yeah. they're totally like scrambling, like, and hopefully their business model will collapse completely. And uh, <laughs> yeah. that would be really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, and it's like you talked about earlier, like the, you know, having some empathy for the people that you grew up with and grew up around, you know, and stuff. Right. I I feel like what's hard to find is that, that ground where like, because for me, like I'm out a hundred percent and I I consider myself an agnostic, but like Mm -hmm. what was freeing to me was not to say, I don't believe in any of this. It was more to say like, I don't care about any of this anymore. Like, I don't care and I don't have to care and like, stop giving me books. Like, I don't care enough to read the book. I don't want to think about this anymore Mm -hmm. in, in like weigh it. It's not that I don't want to think about it at at all. It's just that I don't want to continually weigh like my life's purpose and internal destination against this book that you're handing me right now, you know? Totally. God, yeah, that's great. What's hard to find is like the balance with that where you know it took me a while to to get to a point where i'm like you know if you're a person who believes 
in 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 anything whatever it is you know like if you find meaning and comfort and happiness in being involved with the church and in believing in you know uh jesus as your personal savior and stuff like that and it doesn't negatively affect the way that you behave towards other people because i mean we you can't control people's belief systems and you Mm -hmm. know what if they're homophobic on the inside what are we gonna do you know right but if it if it's if on the outside, at least they're friendly and kind and loving mm-hmm. towards the people that mm-hmm. they interact with, I don't know. I just do whatever you want. Do what makes you feel good and whole and and feel a sense of meaning. A hundred percent. I, you know, as I was kind of passing through the five stages of deconstruction, um, which I just made that up, but, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, the resent, the resent, stage was the one that was the most difficult for me and but you know I, I came to a point one day I, rem- I remember like I really I really love the 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 sentiment that like everyone's doing the best with what they have with you know what their resources are what they were given and I remember thinking like if I really believe that then I can't really and this was this was also really liberating like there there isn't a person for me to blame for any of this there there, there really isn't there there and I can't look at someone and be like, you stupid, ignorant idiot. Like, what are you, you know, I can't do that. There's, that's, yep. that's no different than, than, than the, how the, they treated other people, you know, or how I treated other people. That's no different. And so, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And, and when I said like that, I do believe that the world would be better without religion. I do believe that, but I also believe that that's not a realistic expectation and yeah yeah um that i'm sure like i don't (laughs) i'm sure there are people out there that are very religious that are like really putting more good into the world than than evil yeah um i don't know if i know any of them and the fact i'm sure i do and but the fact that i don't know that that they are is probably something to do with it you know what i mean but um yeah i agree 100 percent, and i really one of the reasons I've been hesitant to be really like transparent in this, in this whole topic is because I really don't want to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to like, like I'm really, I don't get any satisfaction out of that at all. I mean, I do get satisfaction out of uh, Christian nightmares so much. Like (laughs) it's actually how I know about (laughs) this podcast. It's like one of you commented on something and I was like, Oh, that's a, that's that sounds that seems cool and that's how I started listening to your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was actually gonna reach out to you guys before you reached out to me uh, and be and say like, hey, let, we should do a podcast. Uh, oh, sick. now I am crazy. glowing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, but, I, love um, yeah. I love it. Thank you. We got a we got a Christian Nightmares episode two coming out tomorrow. Oh, I'm excited. We're so excited about it. <laughs> I think it came out great. We're pumped about it. One thing I want to say, and I know we've been going on for a while, so we can kind of wrap up. But when you talk about a world without religion, it's funny because I one of the things that I think about, I th- I think about that a lot. That's one mm-hmm. of the things that's kind of on my mind a bit because I still, uh, I still participate in a Christian religion. Yeah. Uh, however, you, I don't. It's tough for me to parse out in a few words what that means right. to me and why I do. Uh, but the community that I have is is meaningful to me, right. and if it Absolutely. disappears. 
I don't, I don't have a backup plan. There's no church that I'm like, well, you know, let's just replace it. Right. It's for sure. And what I, I forecast Chris, what I hear you <laughs> saying in what I I've been thinking of is like it, religion is, it just feels like the mechanism for control. Mm-hmm. Like you can have a meaningful life of faith uh, and you can form a, a little group, but, th- and if that works for you, great. But what I, I feel like when you look at religion as a whole, there's all these, I don't know. I'm about to maybe shoot my own argument in the foot here, but it's like, I came from non-denominational land, which was, mm-hmm. there is no hierarchy. There is no oversight. That's mm-hmm. uh, Mark Driscoll land, right? There's just mm-hmm. an asshole at the top saying a mm-hmm. bunch of bullshit and hurting mm-hmm. a lot of people and then rising from the ashes to be a piece of shit again. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't, there's no good way around that. That's trash. And they, like mm-hmm. he's a, it's a net negative for the world. And then you go, but then you look at oversight, right? And you look at denominations in the way that like the Southern Baptist convention works. You look at even the Catholic church has uh, a myriad of issues and any sort of high church structure has its own problems. So I, I, I started trying, I, I honestly started this thinking that maybe uh, like the, the concept of st- like the structure or is what's the, pro- what the problem is, right? Like a, a religious control. You look at historically speaking in the way that the Catholic church has been in bed with empire and, and for sure controlled right. the narrative uh, of salvation and but then but then you look at what non-denominationalism does and and how that creates mark driscoll's and things like that and then you yeah. look at what maybe this is i think what's shitty is you know what it is i bet if you just get rid of religion completely now you have like you know maybe real politics becomes your like people are always going to like gravitate towards something and be controlled by something and want simple answers for complex questions and yeah yes hundred I don't know I, I all 100%. I'm saying I'm not trying to even refute anything I'm I think I'm saying that I'm I feel stuck I honestly feel stuck and confused and I like, totally get that and I I, I, I I agree with everything you just said and um not that that matters but I. <laughs> I do think, you know, that there's this inherent need for tribalism in us. It's really destructive and like, you know, um, us against them, you know, we're, we're in the in group. Those are the out group, you know, that whole thing, um, is, is permeated both sides of the political spectrum right now, like in Mm -hmm. a really dangerous way. And also my, my experience is very limited, you know, like I, I don't, I'm not an expert on world religion and historical, Every, you know, I could I could meet someone from some other country that had a complete like a, an experience in religion that I've never even heard of. Before. But, you know, the arguments I've heard for just sort of the net negative of religion as a whole are very compelling. And yeah, um, yeah and right they resonate that. with me on a deep, deep level. Um, you know, the guy that I was talking about earlier, John Philip Newell, he's sort of an expert in pre empire Celtic Christianity. And um, very specific. Yeah. And it's really <laughs> beautiful. I mean, it is like nothing like the kind of Christianity that 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 we were raised with. I mean, it literally couldn't be more different. And I've read uh, one of his books and about half of another one of his books. And he is just a sage. I mean, he 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 is he's a he's a mystic. I think he even identifies as like a Christian mystic. And you know, that kind of shit is awesome. Like I love it. I mean, I'm not going to like change my kind of where I'm l- sitting right now as far as my beliefs go based on it, but like I completely back that dude and like what he's trying to do like so hard. And 
yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it's a it's a tricky situation. Um, I wouldn't ever like I wouldn't ever want to like rob someone of some sort of sense of community or purpose or anything. That's you know, that would be horrible. That would be like monstrous to want people to be robbed of that. I personally never really felt connected to a community in a church. I always felt outside. I always felt like I was like not fitting in and I they they were all getting something that I didn't get. Like I just didn't get it. And I felt it actually kind of made me feel worse about myself to be completely honest. Uh, oh, I am so I it was easy. 100%. It was easy for me to be like, "Bye," you know. Yeah. Um, there's I, you know it's funny like talking about this stuff so when you when you i have this thought that's like stuck in my head that i continually think about where you know when people start talking about like evolution and humans you know being like an evolutionary anomaly and is mm-hmm. this ever has this ever happened before on other right. planets is there life out there and stuff i keep having this i always have this thought that like what if we're inevitable like what mm. if evolution inevitably leads to some sort of a sentient being that mm-hmm. that is just sort of dominates the rest of the life in their in their realm you know but i i think that like some of the stuff you guys are talking about like the the propensity for religions to turn into this tribalistic self-protecting organism Mm-hmm. that 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 inevitably strays way far from their core principles in right, an effort right, to protect right, right. themselves and grow their their own institution i think that that's really just a characteristic of of human institutions in general you know whether we're mm-hmm. talking about like governments yeah corporations whatever it is like 100%. institutions institutions naturally protect themselves and prioritize growth above all things. And they will compromise their, their, their principles to keep growing and increasing the influence of their, of their organization, right? They, they naturally need oversight and, and, uh, and accountability, and they naturally resist those things, you know? And, and religion is just another one of those things. And, and corporations are like a more, recent development but they do the exact same thing i mean like you know look at at uh i mean how many times did you hear conservative christian leaders like make jokes about liberal starbucks doing this that or the other yeah. and how ridiculous With they were Christmas for, cups yeah exactly and, or and you know straws like, or whatever <laughs> and you look at like at at starbucks what they're doing right now to try to resist unionization and undermine it and stuff like audio just leaked of them talking Mm -hmm. openly about how they're going to try to undermine this push to unionize, you know, their, Mm -hmm. their staff and stuff. It's the same. It's the same. Whenever you've got a group of humans all working towards a common goal, I feel like that's what we naturally do. And it's the tribalism we were talking about. It's just a natural function of it. And it's just something that regardless of whether we're talking about a company or a government or a religion, it is always going to require people either on the outside or on the periphery of it to try to hold it accountable and, and a lot of times unsuccessfully because that's where it's going to trend. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I think you're bringing up a couple of points. Uh, 
it's I, I think that the thing under the thing under the thing of all of this is like evolu natural evolutionary components gone amok, right? So like it's kind of like how like you know anxiety, chronic anxiety is such a thing in the, in the Western world especially. But the reason we feel anxious is a survival instinct. It's something that actually protected us, that kept us alive, that that like kept our species from dying, right? And I think that at the core of all this is just this desire for safety and survival, right? But it's, it's just like gone amok. It's evolved. If you have to take evolved. a dump in the woods, you're always looking over your shoulder for a saber-toothed tiger. Exactly. And if I think like on an institutional level, I'm not saying like every single person involved. I think there is like real greed and evil and addiction and mental like health even stuff that goes into a lot of this stuff, especially in church uh, and in politics. Uh, but as an, on an institutional level, the core kind of thing that's driving this, these communities is a sense of wanting everything to be okay. <laughs> you know, it's just gotten really mutated. Like everything to be okay for a billionaire means like getting more money or whatever. Like, I don't know what the, like, I don't, I, I <laughs> I don't you know, understand. Things seem that. pretty okay for them now. It's hard yeah, to but like, being you more know, okay. <laughs> I can understand how like my instincts to want to survive and be okay and protect myself and feel safe. I've seen those anecdotally in my life spin out into really destructive things, you know. Um, and so I get that on an institutional level how that happens. Um, so this yeah. is more, and that's what that's what's beautiful about it is I think this type of thinking even comes from a different place it comes from a place of compassion curiosity empathy and i'm really shitty at all of those things i just said but except for the curiosity part but <laughs> at, at least i'm like trying and i'm aware of it and i'm you know i'm trying to be mm -hmm. a little bit better version of myself every day than i was yesterday and um i never got that from religion i never got that from christianity that was not that was not like a priority or virtue yeah. i remember i remember that and, and and i can wrap with this so th this is just crazy but i remember like i was reading something or going through something and i was starting to think about that i had never really established my own set of values based on like who i really am like in my body and in my heart and in my mind and my soul like who i am and i remember like looking up the definition of values and it was and it was like it's what you value and I was like, oh, I never really thought of it that way. And the reason is, is because my values weren't what I value. They're what I had to value. They're what mm -hmm. like I was supposed to value in order to be okay in the eyes of the church or the eyes of other Christians or God or yeah, whatever. Yeah, to fit in. So I, I remember that was like a revelation. Like, oh, it's I get to decide what I value. I get to like actually really try to like suss out like what's in there and what's like what's important to me and it was like oh shit i i have to do that but it's also beautiful you know at the same times so, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. man i love it i think even you talking about value it's like i was thinking about that just today was like you know because this is what people are thinking about as we're rolling up on holiday season and spending right. time with people you're like it you, you realize how complicated it gets spending time with groups of people who have such different value systems mm -hmm. and that's like such a it doesn't have to become a problem uh, and i think you know maybe one of the better maybe the pinnacles of human evolution would be to like 
not always let those things get in the way. Uh, but they do even to your point, Casey talking about like the people on the outside, the peripherals of society who are pushing against, you know, whether it's the corporations, the institutions, like, yep. I think that's what was attractive to me and still is about Jesus. And you can find this in other people and that's fine. People should find it where they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like, you know, he, the way that he came up against it, the concepts of empire and the concepts of religious structures that keep people out and the way, mm-hmm. like to me, like that's, those are the things that I do value. So I think that's why I'm still attracted to that, those ideas and why I can uh, still sit in the world that I do is because it's like, I don't, I, I believe in that. And it's, I, I don't mm-hmm. believe in re- religious structures or right. repeat after me's or these institutions that harm people. And I think that, the ultimate point to me is like, you know, we talk about how damaging it was to say he Christ died for you. Christ died for your sins and you did this. And that's because we're all awful. And then he came mm-hmm, back and now mm-hmm. it's great. It's like, this is the natural outcome of pushing against those things. Do you mm-hmm. want to be like, do you want to pick that up or not? Like, and it's up to you. But to me, I, I think that's I, and beautiful, I don't, man. I, I really mostly, do think but, that's beautiful. <laughs> it's what resonates with me, but. That's great. And I, I love that. I honestly do. And I celebrate that with you. Like I, I truly do, even though that's not where I'm at. Um, yeah. I've watched too many Bart Ehrman videos, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if you've ever watched him, but he's, he's one of my other favorite people. I'll check uh, him out now. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a badass dude. I like the Tell way us- that Jesus copy and paste fish and toast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Copy and <laughs> control. That resonates with me. Seeing control V's. Yeah, it's dope. Oh I like how he makes Boone Farm out of Lake Water, too. <laughs> Aaron, tell us about what you're up to, where we can find you. I, you obviously just put out a new album. You have two. You had two new albums come out on the same day. Uh, one's your solo project. One's you got going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us about what you got going on. Well, so I put I put out a lot of music through the company. I, I work full time for a company called Soundstripe. I'm a full time composer there. It's a music licensing company. And I make music for their catalog for their customers and, you know, videographers and YouTubers and TV shows and ads and all that stuff. And they release all the music I make. So, you know, sometimes it, it will come out. I don't I don't even really have anything to do with when it comes out. It just does. And uh, one of the projects I do there is one called, uh, that I have with one of the other guys there named Adrian. And we have a project called Snowbones. And it's really like our love of like British, you know, all, you know, British, mu- like 90s and 2000s British, like alt pop kind of, I guess. And uh, I sing in that. And it happened to <laughs> accidentally come out uh, the same day as my like, quote unquote real record that I have been working on for like two years. So, uh, and that is uh, under my name, Aaron Sprinkle, and it's called Certainty and you can stream it anywhere um, that you can stream stuff. And if you want to buy a vinyl or a CD or a cassette, you can go to my website, AaronSprinkleMusic.com. There's actually five bonus tracks on the EP. So it actually is more like an LP and nice. yeah, and it's I'm a playing... great album too, man. I, I listened to it a few oh, times the other you. day and it's really fantastic. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. I, I was really going for a specific kind of vibe, kind of a throwback thing for me. Um, and then I'm starting to play out again. I don't know when this p- podcast is going to be out, but I have a show um, next month in Kansas city um, with Emery and Aaron Marsh from Copeland. Um, 
on December tenth, uh, uh, and I'm excited. I I really have not played out for a long, long, long time, and um, I'm going to be focusing on that more. And um, and then I have a podcast also called Moon Traveling, yeah. with with my co-host Matthew Schwartz. And you know we've only put out I think six episodes so far, but. Uh, the response has been really good and it's been really fun and it, it's great. I listened to that too. I got it. Cool. Like, I got the first couple episodes. You know, one of the things I love that you did uh, is that, uh, you know, you guys had an AMA on that and I, yeah. for, people ask a lot of music questions. Uh, yeah. The things that we didn't quite get to this time. Yeah. Not that you haven't answered that a million times. I know that like the, the fan in me of all the stuff you've worked on wanted me to wanted to ask a bunch of, the same questions you've probably answered a million places. Well, I'd be I, happy I, to come back on, but I, I wanted to talk about the juicy I love shit. this. This was a lot of fun. I was yeah. glad we got to get to know you a little bit. And Man, I am I am really honored and just really grateful. This is this has been just such a fun experience. And uh, yeah, thank if you. Anybody yeah, wants this to is hit so much me fun up, for us. Hit me up on Instagram too. It's just Aaron Sprinkle. Um, if you hear this and want to talk about it, that's a good place to reach. Awesome. Yeah. So everyone, check out his new music check out his podcast it's great and uh yeah i guess uh, i don't have anything else casey what until next time <laughs> until next time thanks for Appreciate listening you guys we will catch you later <laughs>